Got a few rapid-fire ones coming at you this time. Uh, This one is with uh, Michael Thomas of Night Swims out of San Diego, kind of like North County area, I think that's what he called it. I know it is North Park. I think that's the same thing. I'm not entirely sure. But this one was a lot of fun. They have an album out called Idle Wild. It is their debut, and Michael Thomas's debut as a singer-songwriter. Um, his background is playing in several bands as a musician, uh, not primarily a songwriter. So this was an adventure for him as he learned to take on a new role and explore a different avenue, which is very interesting. You can hear his passion for writing in these lyrics. It's really, really just beautiful, ethereal stuff. It sounds like San Diego. And if anybody's spent a decent amount of time in San Diego, you'll know what I'm talking about when you hear it. It's definitely a positive. Um, You'll hear it. You can hear water. You can hear the ocean. You can hear the calm darkness of San Diego at night, to be clear. Anyway, so we met up at uh, La Colombe Coffee Shop in, where was that, Elysian Park, and did the most hipster podcast, which I, at this point, I'm proud of, um, (laughs) because we got our cold brews, we sat along the L.A. River, and along a bike trail along the L.A. River, people passing us, just staring at watching us, two bros just with microphones, sipping black coffee. Doesn't get more L.A. than that, right? Yeah, I'm going to keep it that way. I like that. It's fun. I'm going to do more of that. I'm going to be more on the road before I explore this uh, studio space, which is a new project I'm working on in terms of searching. I'm not really building anything. But uh, looking at Pomona, looking to keep it here. Looking to expand as this podcast is getting more attention. I told you. I told you it was good. I told you it was all right. I didn't tell you it was good. I told you it was all right. And, well, some people think it's good and it's working out. So that calls for some space. That calls from, for some a professional desk and possibly a producer. Who knows? Maybe a TV in the back to go all Rogan style and have people look something up for me. That'd be neat. Anyway, (laughs) going off the rails here. Got a few shows coming up by Night Swims uh, tomorrow. July 21st is going to be at the Hotel Cafe with Noir Daliz. And uh, I'm going to be there taking pictures and hanging with the dudes. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, 729 is uh, Boomtown Brewery. Uh, Night Swims will be there along with... The, what is this, uh, August 3rd at the Poor House in Oceanside. Poor, P-O-U-R, house in Oceanside. Like what they did there. Seems like an Oceanside thing to say, too. Night Swim's latest single, uh, Driftwood Shoes, is out now at the top of the list. And that's on the uh, sketch list uh, playlist. And I'll post something like that, something about that. You'll see it along with links to all of Night Swim's stuff. Very cool stuff. Got some merch. Uh, come out to the shows. They're a lot of fun. And they're loud. 
from what I hear. This will be my first one. And uh, yeah, so up next is Driftwood Shoes by Night Swims, followed by the podcast per usual. Enjoy.
cool. No, so as I was, uh, as I was kind of saying, when I was when I was growing up as as a uh, as a kid and like discovering new music, it was it was through b- buying like CDs, right, and reading the liner notes to see who the thank yous were were yeah. to. Yeah. Um, and this was right around the time when like the internet too, of course, was. How old are you? Uh, I'm 38. 38. Yeah. Um, 35. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So around that time was when the internet was being used more widely other than like cheating on your spouse or looking at porn (laughs) um so then i would just look up the names of the people that they thanked and find out what bands they were in and kind of go down that rabbit hole and then cycle from there see who they're thanking and then you get to this point where you discover like you know bands that you know are just getting started and maybe haven't even toured yet and things Mm -hmm. of that nature and uh, when thinking about like how kids are doing that now, that's what I was saying about with like the podcasts. Like, I think like this kind of podcast is good for discovering those bands, mm-hmm. you know, that were kind of at that bottom tier of like who you found out from all these like this pyramid of artists. Yeah, know? yeah. And then it trickles down to them. Yeah, because you found this through mutual friends of ours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, our dollies. Yeah, yeah shout out to Carlos and Antonio. Oh. Yeah, we're playing with them uh, actually uh, in a couple weeks, uh, July twenty first. Yeah, at a hotel cafe. Yeah. So, which one got moved to September? Uh, the uh, Harvard and Stone one. Oh, okay. Yeah, that got moved to September twenty seventh, and that's with Memory Milk. Yeah, shout out to Memory Milk too. So. I gotta catch you July twenty first. I think I can make that one. You should. I think yeah. it'd be fun. There's also Izzy Outer Space on the bill. She's for, uh, she's a good friend, first off, and uh, like a beautiful person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but her music is is really phenomenal. And like, you know, she got started on songwriting later in life, mm-hmm. um, sort of like me. And man, she's just put the work in, and her songs have really recently they're sounding elevated and you know she's she's getting good musicians to play with her nice. that's actually why i'm up here today uh-huh. is to go see her play in this band uh called the gentle cycle cool cool who are uh, and uh, like i was talking to her last week on the phone and she was like yeah i'm playing the show blah 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 i'm like cool i was like well who, who are the who are the people on the band and she's like oh well some of them are from galaxy 500 and i'm like and you just didn't even like mention that like what the fuck dude and then i look it up and it's like oh not only is derek in uh galaxy 500 but he also played in chocolate watch band i don't know that one Uh, you should listen to him they um they are one of the reasons why jason pierce's career exists who Hmm. is a singer songwriter of spiritualized Uh uh-huh yeah Um, oh they've been spiritualized out of here right out uh, of LA? No, Spiritualized is from England. Oh, okay. Um, Who am I thinking of? I don't know. Either way, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm kind of rambling there. But uh, Izzy's Izzy's really good. Oh, I'm with so, you. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to see <laughs> I'm going to see that show tonight, and like I'm also talking to her, and she's like, yeah. And then I was like, oh, and I just saw the flyer. Cool. So Sonic Boom is DJing it, and he is one, Peter Kember. He's one half of Spaceman Three, mm. who is Jason Pierce's other previous band before he's just a powerhouse tonight huh? so yeah it's yeah. gonna be a fucking wicked show i think where's it gonna be um ultra lounge is it non plus ultra non plus right. ultra yeah i went to one show there it was a really cool uh really cool spot i got ragdolled 
in a pit. That was fun. I realized how much, how little upper body strength I had when somebody just yanked me from the front as I, I had my camera on, I'm like ready to take a picture. Somebody just pulled me by the shoulders and I went whoop. Oh, I, <laughs> I, so I, I wouldn't fun. enjoy that. I, you know, I grew up in um, like punk rock and hardcore music and stuff back in the Midwest mm. and like, you know, heavy metal and things of that nature when I was like a kid, kid. Yeah. And the first show I ever went to, I did one of those stupid things where I'm like, I'm going to crowd surf. <laughs> uh, because you know you don't know how fucking stupid that is um and so i did it and got dropped on my head and Ooh. like it was like one of those m- moments where it was like i was definitely concussed yeah and from that point on like the rest of the show was just me like sitting on a stool somewhere Damn. and like just being like oh when can i go home <laughs> so who was it uh it was mxpx <laughs> nice yeah um, nice. so it was funny because cleveland is was the main city nearest to where i lived Mm -hmm. growing up and so for all the talk of like rock and roll hall of fame being there and shit i mean we we didn't get bands through there at all so when there was anything like that was outside of just mainstream coming through it was like yeah you kind of want to go see that yeah um you know but what we did have was a really good like local metal and like Mm. Uh, punk scene and hardcore scene and stuff like that nice. um, super local then huh but i remember hearing mxpx and thinking wow this is super rad and i i had heard their live record where it's just like speed punk yeah like and then i listened to their records and i'm like oh i don't like those <laughs> like i i realized that i liked them live yeah yeah um, and what i realized is it wasn't even the music that i liked live it was that energy right right um and you know that's when sort of i think i was around like 13 or 14 um and then around that time was when i i found the energy that i really enjoyed Mm -hmm. in a live show but not the music yet and so my taste shifted and that was kind of that the turning point in like my evolution and like what music i listened to yeah yeah and things of that nature that's when i started you know kind of going for a little bit weirder shit Mm mm-hmm how weird did you get you go, going from that high octane punk at well, least at least live to like what was the next step there uh, bjork bjork okay yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a radical jump yeah because around that time <laughs> that um post album had come out oh, and that, uh that song it's oh so quiet yeah like, that video was fucking wild yeah like and i was just like what is that mm-hmm. and i was really turned on by it because you know i was I, I really enjoyed show tunes and like musicals growing up. Like mm. my grandma was watched a lot of those. Yeah. And so I really loved like that big band jazz music anyway. And on top of that, my parents listened to jazz. Mm-hmm. So it just clicked with me. And then I didn't expect that. Oh, that's the only song that's ever going to sound like that by her. Oh, it is. It's it, a complete, it makes no sense yeah. that it's on there. No, it's a complete, <laughs> like, singular, like, if you were to play that for somebody, they'd be like, that's a completely different person. Yeah. So. Because um, it almost doesn't sound like her either. Like, she no. she belts it out in a way she doesn't typically do it. And then you hear, what what's all, what else is on that album? Army of Me. Army the, of Me is yeah. on that. Hyper Ballad is Hyper, on it. Yeah. And Some of the most bizarre videos I've ever seen. Oh, dude, those Coming videos those were incredible. By yeah. Chris Cunningham, I think, did a couple of them. I know Michelle Gondry did. Yes. Army of Me. He did Army of Me. That's yeah. the one in the teddy bear, right? Like, no, it was like a... Or it was Hunter. Like a big, that's uh, Hunter. 
Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Oh no. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Michelle Gondry did some. Spike Jones did some. Yeah. Chris Cunningham. She was. I. And the, that was cool too, because you might re remember those like Criterion collections of music videos, that each mm -hmm. one. So Chris Cunningham, Spike Jones, and Michelle Gondry, they started this series where they did like all their music videos and like shorts and stuff like yeah. that, and put them on DVDs, and it looked like it was going to be kind of like one of those new kind of things you do, but they uh -huh. only did those three. <laughs> I think they ran out of people. I mean, I guess they could have done Hype Williams. He did like every hip hop video of the 90s. I guess they could have. But I wonder if Michelle, I wonder if that was the time Michelle Gondry did, uh, he started doing movies. Or it, may, maybe he was already doing movies, but he it did was, a couple of yeah, movies around that time. Eternal Sunshine, right? Yeah. Yeah, like he did that, and that's when they started making those DVDs, I think, around that. They were, you know, yeah. Maybe he got on, busy. Yeah. Well, his movies definitely got worse. <laughs> I liked uh, the Science of Sleep. That was a really good I, one that I've only watched maybe twice because it's so like it's one of those that you can't that I can't return to because it's it hits a certain point and I don't want to ever go back to that. Yeah, you know what's funny is like like that that era of movies they were yeah. all really original and like yeah. really captivating, but they were all just so goddamn depressing yeah. and. <laughs> You know, they were, they were so good. They were so good, but so fucking sad. Eternal like, Sunshine, dude. Eternal oh Sunshine God. adaptation. Adaptation. Like, yeah. did you ever see Synecdoche, New York? No. All right, so it's by Charlie Kaufman as well, uh -huh. who like wrote all those, right? Yeah. And he wrote Being John Malkovich too, and but this was his first movie that he directed, mm -hmm. and it's Philip Seymour Hoffman, you know. So of course it's going to be good because it's yeah, him. but it, it is almost three hours long and it, it is a beautifully like concept conceptually it's beautiful yeah and, you know the acting is incredible but it is three hours of man like i i'm already a manic depressive like uh -huh. i this is just keying into all that man yeah and it's lock like, in for three hours it's, it's basically a mental illness for three hours <laughs> it's like what it's like to have a mental illness for three hours uh, um but synecdoche, anyway. new york synecdoche synecdoche yeah. Yeah, yeah so basically he's like this architect who builds us the a life-size replica of new york city in a warehouse <laughs> cool um which is obviously you know a huge there. fabrication but yeah he ends up doing it for a stage production because he's like a he's not an architect that's right i think he's a director he's okay. a, like a theater director right and so he builds this like massive scale thing and then he ends up just living his life in this play ah but that sounds dark already though. yeah it, 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 <laughs> and it's really interesting really interesting movie that sounds like a conscious uh truman show uh, yeah, in a, in, a, in a little bit of a way. Yeah. Because yeah. Truman Show was good. I like that. That was good. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah. The so. idea of being uh, being aware of your manu manufactured life. If this guy, like, created the world around him and now he lives in it um, by choice, I guess. And, I mean, you know, I'm sure it's been said somewhere, but that's pretty much how we're doing it now, right? <laughs> Creating yeah. a life online and then living the real one then hopping in it yeah you know it's uh it's fun because now we have vr does anybody actually use it not me but i want to it's just uh it's an expensive barrier of entry you know you know so i did that i i, I did that and i went to like one of those places where they have like the rooms and oh did, yeah like the full-on thing and it was cool it was like it was like yeah this is fun 
you know, I, I, I liked video games when I was growing up and stuff. I never got past a certain age. I never really got much into them therefore after. Mm -hmm. So it was like a cool experience to do it. But at the same time, I don't know. It's also one of those things where it's like, dude, I couldn't wait to get out of there at the same time. <laughs> you got bored pretty quick. Not even bored. It was just like, uh, I don't, it's just felt suffocating. Oh, gotcha. Um, and was it the full like Oculus? I think I think so. And then it was yeah. like, uh, yeah, maybe it, maybe it's because I I was so out of realities for so many years uh -huh. in 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 you know what was going on in my life. Yeah, I yeah. Was, uh, I I just stopped wanting to escape reality. So any any time I like pick up a video game, I can feel that conscious like like sort of subversion into the in, submersion into the into it oh. and so that uh, i think that maybe maybe you know if you're getting really psychological perhaps that's part of it that sounds incredibly healthy <laughs> oh i am a healthier <laughs> fucking individual i will say that um that i once was yeah that sounds like a a, a great uh i'm reluctant to say turnaround but i guess in a sense it is that VR is not going to get to you. Maybe it will later when you're bored of regular life. But look, dude, I for now you're not. My screen time is embarrassing, just like everybody else's. I on hate my that phone. they stopped telling it. Oh, that they started telling us. Yeah, it drives me crazy. Well, you know, it, it's it definitely doesn't make you feel good. No, no. So because mine increases by like ten minutes every week, and I'm like, how? I don't know what I did. Why am I still on this thing? And I'm hoping that it's accidentally counting my computer. Which I do other stuff on. Well, what, what I did find out, and I did feel better about this, is apparently if, like, say it's on a charger and you have it on, you know, a streaming service and you're watching or listening to something, as long as it doesn't go to sleep on the screen, it counts it as screen time. Oh. So I think, I think that attributes for a lot of mine. You yeah. know, when I, but I still, I still do spend too much time on it. Like, yeah. And I, I, I check it. You know, there's that definitely like phantom, phantom vibration thing that people talk about, and it's funny because I stayed away from them for so fucking long, and then yeah. I started a band, <laughs> stupidly, <laughs> and now I have to have one because everything that deals with the band deals with that phone. Yeah, you're pretty much locked into social media unless you want to be some underground, obscure as hell punk band or something. Well, know? and like the thing is too is when I look at all of my like sort of musical like people that I, I not just look up to but have modeled certain aspects of my career thus far after yeah. they didn't do these they didn't do interviews and stuff and that was fine and <laughs> it worked out it worked out it still and worked out see the funny thing is is like now that is just impossible you have to do these you have to, and it's not like I'm saying, oh, woe is me for sitting here with you. <laughs> um, I mean, we have a beautiful location. This is nice. Well, <laughs> like I said before, how how L.A. is this? That uh, we're, we're sitting on the L.A. River, sipping iced coffee. And doing a fucking podcast. <laughs> and doing a podcast. Yeah. As people ride their bikes and walk and, by. This doesn't get more California than this. Well, and every single one of them is saying, well, there's two dudes doing another fucking podcast. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what they're saying. I know I started mine so late that like so late in the game where they were already popular it was well after the Obama Mark Marin yeah. interview um, by the time I was able to do it I was like this is already a, uh, a thing people are gonna make fun of me now well give a shit. now <laughs> well now it's like one of those things where you you as like 
a budgeting podcaster, you have to figure out like the avenue or path that it'll take you to become, you know, a financially successful if that's your goal. Yeah, yeah. You know, like if it's your goal to just do this, you know, for a hobby, then that's fine. You don't, you know, you don't really have then to. Then I'm good. Then yeah. you're good. You don't have to work too hard. Mm-hmm. But if it is something that you see yourself doing as like a career form, then you do have to concern yourself with a lot of things. And then you're yeah. stuck in the same boat of like this digital autocracy. <laughs> like, and, you know, we're all just at the whims of, yeah. of whatever they create next. Like, you know, I, we both are already on threads. Yeah. That's embarrassing. <laughs> I got it. I'm like number four million or something. Four million and change. And like, Thank Christ I'm at least out of the 10 million range. So, I, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't look too much like the guy who's just been waiting on the girl to break up with the boyfriend so he could go after her. <laughs> Um, no, uh, it's just, it, it is funny though, because it's like up until this band that I started, um, I didn't have a Facebook, didn't have an Instagram. Oh, damn. Uh, you were off the like, grid. Oh, dude, straight all of 2017 through 2018, almost like a year and a half. I didn't even have a cell phone. Damn. Whoa. Yeah. All right. It's pretty, pretty cool. Damn. I like that. Yeah. Like I did. Um, I, it's it's i have such a romanticized view of that because i haven't been unplugged i don't know since myspace so well you know the the thing is is like uh, it, it was one of those things where at that time it was like i had no reason for any of it yeah yeah you know so it made it pretty simple mm-hmm. like all i needed was to be able to call people and that was that like yeah. i didn't like to text or anything but now i'm like this goddamn chatty kathy <laughs> uh, uh, when it comes to texting with people and stuff like that and i've i've sort of like made fun of myself a little bit in uh-huh. a lot of ways but it, at the same time you know it is troublesome that you can get so adopted to these things so quickly you, you you adopt these things and you adapt around them just so quickly yeah it speaks volumes obviously for human beings but it also I don't know it um the negatives that have gone along with it um you know will be debated for a very long time mm-hmm. you know and I think you know the reality is just like many things it's here and it's not going to go anywhere and it's just going to evolve and get bigger yeah and so it's uh it's one of those things where you either fucking jump on and you you kind of ride you know the wave or you do what I did for a lot of years which is just get off it unplug yourself and there was a lot of healthy benefits to it man but at the same time you feel so uh, isolated from the world in a lot of ways yeah you're unplugged and, and you and it can get to you and when you try to c- get back on it's 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 sort of difficult to catch up a little bit yeah um and you know that's where i feel like in a in a way i am in general with like music mm-hmm. is I'm just catching up right now. You know, I uh, lost a lot of years of not writing music myself. And, you know, I was, I, I didn't take on like a songwriter role of any capacity until this band. And so really the first album, those are the first songs I ever really fully wrote and mm-hmm. recorded, you know, in a way since I was a kid. Wow. Um, you did this during uh, the pandemic too, right? Yeah, I started it. Um, in literally March of 2020. 
right when everything locked down before um, or after uh right after right it was, after. It, well, it was so it was like one of those things where i i just i couldn't catch up with the time that i needed because you know you live in california man you got bills to pay yeah. and it's it's a really difficult to write music that in my opinion is unique or original or whatever else in general but to do it when you have very limited time you, every artist knows you can't r- work just because you have free time yeah you know that's not how that that works yeah free time doesn't mean available like creative space yeah like in that free time to- you know what i usually would do it, it that free time was spent practicing my instruments Mm. or you know whatever you know however else i can use that free time but it wasn't i'm going to sit down and just write now yeah so that was something i had to learn yeah i had to learn and had needed the time to learn that and so that's where like the pandemic came into play was it was like all right i have this time and whilst it's really terrible it's obviously the reasons for it because Mm. at that time nobody knew what the fuck was going on yeah at the same moment, it was like, I'm going to utilize this. So I immediately started doing what I wanted to do this whole time, which is just start writing. And so every day I would wake up, handle my whatever I needed to handle for the day, and then mm. I would sit down and just start playing. Okay. And I would write, I would play, write, play eight, nine, ten hours a day. Jeez. Because I wasn't going to work yeah. outside of that. You know, I was getting money to afford my bills. Mm-hmm. You know, things of that nature. And so I did that. And I spent that whole nine-month period writing this album. And Mm -hmm. I wrote probably upwards of 100 song or song ideas. Mm -hmm. And then narrowed it down to these 10 that really spoke to what I wanted to say with the first songs I ever wrote, man. Which Mm -hmm. is like, look, I've lived this life already. Like, Like, I'm not like a kid so I do have something to say at this point as far as, you know, what 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 I've done or been through, yeah. you know? And so there is a very personal, you know, sort of message within the lyrics of the, of, of the first album. Mm-hmm. What I didn't anticipate, and this is what grew out of the pandemic, was building a band. This was started as a solo project. Mm-hmm. It was like, I was just gonna songwrite, and I was gonna write these songs in the vein of, of what I grew up doing, which is like folk and country, mm-hmm. Americana style stuff, just me and a guitar, right? Yeah. That changed really quickly because I just all of a sudden went, I went full on it. I, I went a bit grandiose mm. and it got a bit out of my, out of, <laughs> out of control to the point where it's like, I can't do this on my own. I need a full, I need yeah. a band. And so I started the band. I found, uh, my friend Dave Savoyan, who originally we we met while working together, and um, he was an engineer, and he was going to record these demos for me and mm-hmm. help me out with that, and then help me put a band together around the demos. And about halfway through that, he was just like, "You should just have me play in the band," and I was like, "Yeah, deal." <laughs> and then eventually, over time, we. Cycled through as new bands do a whole bunch of different musicians, and this was again all during this lockdown area. Like, mm-hmm. and um, how are you doing that? Just uh, Zoom, Skype? No, anything? dude. No. If like, look, here's a, here's the reality. I was very respectful of other people's choices. If they didn't want to join me in the room, that was fine. 
You oh, know, fair I never, enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, no, I'm going to go to a room. I have to. There's no playing over Zoom with you. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's not how we're. Well, gonna, nobody liked it. No. <laughs> you know, and, I don't think anybody was actually ever, ever got used to that. No. You know? And I mean, like, I was always respectful of masks need to be put on, of course, you know, mm. 100%. But it wasn't one of those things where it's like, I don't have kids. I don't have. I'm not around elderly. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm. I'm. And at that point everybody was worried about kids and the elderly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so pretty straightforward. Everybody else was like, if you're in this age sector, if you get it, you might have it bad or it, you know, might affect you, but you're probably not going to die. Yeah. And so for me, that was good enough for me, mm-hmm. for me personally, again, respecting everybody's shit. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I get it. Um, but like anyway, so that's, did, right? so that, yeah. And so that's how I cycled through all these musicians would just meet up with them. And it was tough, man, because it's like, you know, I'm I'm down in San Diego. It's not as big of a network as it is up in LA. Like yeah, it's, as far as musicians are. Yeah, concerned. they're they're around, but all everybody's pretty much in the northern part, right? That's where all the venues are. Uh, so there's a huge scene in North County. It's yeah. country, country, huge, okay. huge country scene, and then surf rock scene. You yeah. know, like there was a. Uh, and also you go you go to the OC and then you have the surf rock scene that was there with like burger records and all yeah, that shit. Yeah. Um, but you know, down in San Diego itself, it's a lot of punk, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of reggae. Mm. Not the good kind. <laughs> it's uh, the, the the kind that's always around. The kind that's like unfortunately always around. Uh, always for hire. I no, I'm sorry. I shouldn't about. be. I shouldn't be. <laughs> I, hey, I love reggae too, and we're um, not naming bands, so <laughs> uh, you all know who they are. <laughs> and just, I don't know, man. Same same can go with. I, I'm from originally from Rancho Cucamonga in okay. Inland Empire. We get a lot of the same thing. Not even a rancher, but like Inland Empire, Riverside County, L.A. County on the outskirts. And it's like, it's a lot of the same shit. Well, I think it's rural culture surrounding the influence of what's in the major cities, right? It's like the same thing with like me growing up in a rural town outside of Cleveland. Yeah. What spilled out of Cleveland was metal. Like yeah. it was in it, that was what spilled out of the entire Cleveland scene was yeah, the yeah. metal, right? And that's what impacted kids because when you're a kid, you're fucking angry, and that's what you want to hear. Yeah, out here apparently because California growing up as a kid probably is a bit better than Ohio. You just want to <laughs> grow up, smoke weed, and listen to reggae and surf rock. Like I, I mean, I guess I don't know. Yeah, but that's, in, that's in Ohio, funny. you just want to break shit, man. And I think that's why there's a, like if you think about like the the probably the biggest artists to come out of Ohio in the last 40 years they're all incredibly angry people when they were young Trent Reznor he came uh, out of Ohio did, so he was born in Pennsylvania but he grew up in Parma which is like 20 minutes from Cleveland okay. his grandfather owned a piano shop there that I actually used to rent my trombone from when nice. I was in school band yeah uh Marilyn Manson yeah grew yeah. up outside of Columbus I read um, his book that was fun and then Maynard <laughs> Keenan Oh yeah. He he grew up in the town right next to me. Uh, no Ra- kidding. Yeah, in Ravenna, and Ravenna just like Streetsboro, which is where I grew up. Streetsboro. It's, yeah, it's a turnpike town, like four or five trailer parks in it, and it's like it's very very poor. Uh, town of about when I was growing up, eight thousand people. Mm. I got a friend from uh, Hillsboro. I don't know. I know Hillsboro. Is, is that I'm, close to you? 
it's not close to me, but I know it enough to say I know it. I'm so glad because everybody I meet from Ohio doesn't know where the hell that is. Uh, no. <laughs> so Hillsboro, uh, I think I want to say that's like south of Akron. Mm. I want to say, um, but no, it's Joe just Hook. there's something about like growing up in Ohio that actually I think there is a sound that comes from Ohio that people don't realize, mm. and it is like this sort of like heaviness quality and ang- there's anger in in, yeah. s- in some of it and then also it's ohio really g- always gravitated towards like alternative music in general you know what was considered alternative music at that time yeah you know like like bands like nine inch nails and tool were the biggest bands growing up in ohio yeah, I don't like, know about Ohio, but is it where Insane Clown Posse is? Like, look no, at thank that. Christ, they were from Detroit. <laughs> uh, but we do pretty close. But though, no, right? no fucking bullshit, dude. The town I grew up in, Streetsboro, because it is a turnpike town, it's got like all these different motels and stuff. Yeah, the town next door was where the uh, gathering of the Juggalos took place oh, every okay. year. Nice. So every year there'd be an infestation <laughs> of Juggalo kids. Yeah, like, and it's. It's exactly what you picture, man. Oh, man. Like I've always wanted to go to one. <laughs> dude, I swear to Christ. It was like, even as a kid, I was intuitive. If I saw a kid with an ICP t-shirt on, I was like, you're going to be in jail. <laughs> like, that's definitely happening for you. And then you find out later. <laughs> yeah, oh, there is. Yeah, no, and most yeah. of those kids in my high school, anyway, did go to jail. Damn. Like, of course, there's a lot of kids went to jail that I went to high school with. <laughs> All my friends. <laughs> yeah, a it's lot a, of uh, the ICP fans in my high school, they were like... The troublemakers, whatever, you know, whatever yeah. you want to look at that. They were definitely on the outskirts of... Uh, they enjoyed m- methamphetamine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were the ones coming, in a, coming to school high as fuck. I, uh, I actually hung out in Riverside once when I was like 14, mm-hmm. which is like part of that, right? Like that area out there, like Riverside. Where, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's like part of inland, is that part of Inland Empire area? Uh, I think like technically. Technically, yeah. right? Yeah. So I went out there and I was a kid. I was like <coughs> I was like 11 or 12 or something. No, I was 13. Because uh-huh. uh, my dad lived out in California. And I came out earlier so the school year hadn't ended. And a friend of his daughter went mm. to school in Riverside. And for some reason, she was allowed to take us to school with her on one of the last days of the year. It sounds like Riverside. Yeah. It was actually really odd, thinking back <laughs> to it. And I never heard of that. But we went there, and man, I'll tell you what, Like, I thought I'd seen some shit in rural Ohio, because there's not much to do in rural Ohio. Um, so a right. lot of drugs are consumed, so a lot of weird shit happens. <laughs> uh, but out there, man, it was, it was one of the weirdest experiences. I'm pretty sure uh, I saw at least like three sort of like sexual relation type acts in a classroom during the course of the entire school day. Damn. Like it was just a, it was a little bit of an eye opener to like (laughs) the culture that's out in, you know, the, the desert of California. Well, back then to Riverside, there wasn't a whole lot going on. There isn't a whole lot going on now, but, um, it's grown significantly since then, I think. I'd like to play Riverside. <laughs> See what that's all about. You should. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's cool. Well, we've been invited out there. We need to make it out there. Yeah. Like, Where'd you get where were you invited? Um that's a good question. Mm. I think it was just called Riverside, so I didn't know the venue. Oh nice. Uh, <laughs> or anything like that. No, it's by this band that we played with a few months back in San Diego. Mm. Really nice guys. But they were like, dude, there's a huge scene out here and then like in Bakersfield and stuff. They're like, You need to make it out here and they're like I'm like, Yeah, dude, I'd love to. So like 
that's kind of there's there's a little bit of tour planning going on for later this year and what i'm kind of focusing on because i've been fortunate that i'm getting to play la a lot yeah which is great especially for a band that's not from la yeah Um, is there a lot of uh have you run into like a lot of i guess nepotism in that sense of they're just favoring locals instead of anyone else in San Diego, uh, f- uh, in LA, in LA, yeah. Are no, they, are honest- they uh, hi- keeping you guys out? In no, no, not at any, not not in any way, actually. Mm. Uh, to be perfectly frank, good. From the very first time, so the very first LA show I played was at Harvard and Stone, mm-hmm. and that was because Adam, the GM, reached out to me. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, and asked me to play. Um, he had found our music on Instagram or whatever, and asked, oh, totally our, our, organic. Yeah, cool. like our album had just come out. Yeah, and he is such a nice guy for any like me you know musicians that listen to this like adam at harvard and stone is a one of the hardest working dudes in the city Mm -hmm. in my opinion as far as venues are concerned but also he just loves music and is a musician himself they have a he has a great band uh called night jacket Mm. coincidentally enough night um (laughs) but um he's just an all-around really genuine sincere person and so he was really nice to me from the very very get-go so we've since we've been in l like played in la we've got nothing but like open arms from all the bands and stuff like that yeah it was it was a little different in san diego man really yeah a little cutthroat um you know a little bit of like incestuous yeah like sort of like bands who only have known you like since growing up well that's they're only going to help the other people that like that yeah yeah nobody really was looking to help a new band well like you said it's a small scene right yeah all those bands have been around a while and and look i get it i fucking get it i mean and i'm not a scene kid so that's also something is like yeah i don't really play into scenes right so like the music like night swims music is not representative in any form or capacity of san diego (laughs) like it's really not I hear, I hear water. I hear the beach. It's, 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 it's definitely an album that can give you that. Yeah, feeling, I think it's something that always. It's something I only listen to either in the morning or at night. Never during the, almost never during the day. I was listening to the album a lot, and there's, there's ocean in there. There's something vast in your sound, and I think it's like you said before when um, you were it was getting bigger than you were expecting, right? Mm-hmm. And you had to put a band around this. I think I know what you're talking about because it sounds like that. It sounds just bigger than well, two headphones, you know? And like, I think when when you get down to it, if I can interject something, definitely yeah. don't want to interrupt because you're being so poetically nice right now. <laughs> um, is No, it's, it's that these songs really were started on just me and a guitar. Mm. So... The foundation of them is rooted in folk music. Mm-hmm. It really just is yeah. acoustic fucking folk rock, and like that's why it has such a softness to it mm-hmm. and such space. Um, is I'm just not. There's not a lot of chord changing. Like it's it's almost droning in a in 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 some ways, if you would want to call it that, because mm. of the usage of my chords and uh, you know the phrasings and but at the same time there's elements of all the things that have inspired me in it and that was a huge goal of mine was you know i didn't want it to be encapsulated by one sound and it wasn't like i was being 
derivative and like looking forward to the day of having somebody say that my heart my sound is hard to put a finger on or like mm. that they have to you know somehow subvert it by giving it you know sort of uh, scenic you know additives yeah. you know and but that is kind of what it does mm-hmm. you know it it does it, it you know i've been told by a few people it's it's definitely like soundtrack music and things of that sure. nature i didn't know how to take that um, but then they kind of rephrase it in the sense of no, it's just like when you listen to it, it's very thema- it's very like cinematic. Yeah, and like very, I think cinematic's a better word. Yeah, <laughs> and I felt better about that. Um, yeah, <laughs> because like the thing is, is like, but at the same time, the, the the exciting part about that album is that was me basically. Yeah, you know that was me offering my voice into the world for the very first time now it's a band and we've been working together for a while yeah and this is why i'm at this point i'm probably more excited than i've ever been playing music Mm -hmm. is because i'm not playing somebody else's stuff first and foremost yeah i did that for way too long not way too long i did it for the appropriate amount of time yeah i'll I'll say that and it led to what you're doing it led to my development but really like what leading a band has done is it's it's speed tracked my songwriting Mm -hmm. and i've pushed myself harder than i ever have as far as music is concerned because i don't want to be the worst person in my band (laughs) you know like and i've I've been very (laughs) fortunate to find some really you know going back to the conversation of san diego musicians and how hard it was to find during the process of putting the album together the ones that i finally did settle on i didn't settle on Mm. you know it was because i had run through the mill of other musicians these are the most talented guys that i've put together that yeah. i've been able to play with and i feel really good about and i trust everybody in the band so much that because they're so good it's made me better yeah and that's the thing that i think i never really got from a band because you know like i was saying in other people's music it's not that i had an ego it's just i was never going to care about it as much as my own music mm-hmm but understandably it's yeah. yours and yeah. somehow i found uh, members of this band who mm. are there to service the music yeah like they're not there to service themselves and mm-hmm. you know the anybody that's in a band or is a musician of any sort knows how special that is yeah to have people that are there and that's forced me to service the music more yeah and so like this new stuff that we've been writing and recording um really excited about you know i shared that s- new song with you mm. i'm not did you have a chance to listen to it by chance? no i did not no worries yeah. no uh i it's it's a fucking <laughs> direction man it's a it's it's something that i'm really excited for people to hear yeah because yeah, i got your text to work and it's like i'll listen to it when i when i get out of here and i just oh no worries no no, yeah. no but uh, the one thing i'm excited about is that when people hear it they're gonna be like that's fucking different yeah then anything else we've done mm-hmm. and the same thing goes for the driftwood shoe song that came out last month like yeah that for me was symbolic that this is the first song that we've wrote and recorded where i brought it and i got to build it with other people yeah you know like the structure was there the melody was there but man that's it got elevated and it got brought to a band that really kind of took my initial idea and just made it so much better okay good and yeah. so that's why i'm really proud of that song that yeah. we released and it's not like your traditional single it's not a 
it's not a three minute song or anything like that. And mm-hmm. I don't even know what traditional is anymore, but it's more like it's I something j- to be ignored that term, you know, I think so. And yeah. I just want people to listen to it, you know, because yeah. I think if anything, it's, it's a moment, f- you know, for personally me, obviously it's exciting, but if, if, you've listened to our previous album and then listen to this, you'll hear the evolution and see sort of, all right, these guys are really doing something mm-hmm. cool. And you move fast. It's, it's do good. I? Yeah. Not physically, you know, you, <laughs> this album just, I feel like this album just came out and then you have a new, driftwood shoes just came out and now you're talking, you have a new album coming out. You're working. So, on? yeah. So, well, the first, to be fair to, you know, uh, I do like to be productive, but the f- debut came out February of 2022. Um, and then this is the first song that we've released yeah. since then. And now we're releasing another song in August. Um, and then after that, during October, November, and December, we are recording the next album. Yeah. Which will spend the first half of the year mixing, doing that whole mm-hmm. post-production kind of shit getting everything ready for it and we'll release it by i would say june of of next year cool and so that'll give us about two years in between the first and the second album but the thing is is like i have material that's ready for the next album after that like Mm. at this point i've written so much and and developed so much that i have probably almost three albums worth of like fully fleshed out ideas and songs like completely fleshed out yeah yeah where it just needs to be worked with the band yeah and so like i i'm definitely gonna stay productive in the releasing end of things because i don't think by any means i i I don't intend on putting anything out that i don't think's quality Mm -hmm. because i think there is a mistake that a lot of people are making now where it is quantity over quality for them yeah. You know, and like, yeah. look, I get being inspired by certain artists who did that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, one of my biggest inspirations and one of my favorite artists, I'd say one of my favorite artists rather than one of my biggest inspirations is Anton Newcomb from Brian Jonestown Massacre. Oh, okay. Who, you know, prolific, right? Yeah. Released, what, at this point, 22 albums? <laughs> yeah. 22 albums he released at 1.3 in a year. Like, that's 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 an insane work ethic and, yeah and i that that for me has been inspiring yeah however are all those albums good is the question it cuts and into that quality and of the yeah and it's not me to say that they're not because yeah. it's all subjective right whatever album of his maybe i don't like somebody else loves yeah um i would say for me though he is so good that I, one has to wonder if you were to take more time yeah what would what would the production be then Mm -hmm. but i get it and i get why some people do that Mm -hmm. right and i think that's very grounded in american music is to release 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 like you think about it the first radio stars do they were releasing three albums a year Mm -hmm. that's what they did and that's but a lot of that was covers and stuff you know that's yeah, what's different is anton's been all original yeah it's all been all originals for the most part i think he's done like one or two covers um but though i respect that sort of like path and i think it's something for a lot of artists to admire i don't necessarily think it's the right way to go for me mm-hmm. and so as much as I write and as much as I make sure I have like sort of stocked, 
I also definitely still grew up on albums, man, mm-hmm. where albums took years to write. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. It was because they had written a lot of music that was great, but was it the truly, like, great... It Was it the stuff that they wanted to be representative of their complete, like, catalog? Yeah. You know, like, that's the thing that I do think about when I think about, like, my my artistic career and what I want to make of it is I always want to be proud of what I've, what I've done. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to be at a place where if I ever am done, I, I don't regret the creative choices I made. Yeah. And you don't want to work too fast. Yeah. Right. You don't want to crank them out. No. The, the new thing. Well, it's been the thing for a long time is singles, just pushing out singles. Cause with streaming, you don't have to worry about albums. And it's been that way for a long time. Well, and a lot of people are moving away from albums. Well, what's so fucking funny about that, though, is singles, a lot of people don't realize this. When you're pitching like music, mm-hmm. right, to record labels or anybody that's like in the industry, yeah. right, working in the industry, they don't take singles. Hmm. They, they want they want the whole album. They want a full piece of work. Yeah. They don't want to know that you can just spend 6 months writing a really catchy song. Mm-hmm. That's not enough anymore. Well, they want 10 catchy songs. They want 10 catchy songs yeah. or you know, they want a fully fleshed out idea. Yeah. And like that's where a lot of artists are selling themselves short, mm-hmm. I think personally. They're focusing too much on releasing one song at a time mm-hmm. rather than man, albums are supposed to be messy and chaotic and there's a creativity that goes into making an album that you don't get out of making one solo song. Yeah. And I'm not saying don't release singles, don't write just a solo song. That'd be stupid. Mm-hmm. But in the grand scheme of things, if maybe it's just me, but I do feel like there is a certain level of artistry making an album that speaks to your level of mastership of your craft. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, yeah, yeah. It speaks to your, yeah, everything you just said. And for Without me, repeating it. Well, yeah. and for me being a songwriter, the album is the ultimate master yeah. like class. It's like I developed these songs that are cohesive pieces of music that mm-hmm. are meant to be played in conjunction with one another. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm never going to get away from that. Now, that being said... This album that I release next year, it's not going to have any of the next like five or six songs that I'm releasing. <laughs> so I'm just as guilty of this single bullshit as everybody else is. <laughs> well, because singles are fun. Well, and also because, unfortunately, that's how you get more people to listen to you. Yeah, you like, have to keep people's attention. Well, not just that, but, dude, I released a full-length album when nobody had ever heard of me. Worst idea ever. <laughs> did, did that really not work out? Um, look, I felt like... It was successful because I had no expectations. Okay. And Fair enough. And as far as the immediate like feedback that I got, look, it got me shows in L.A. It got me played on L.A. radio. Yeah. Like Kevin Bronson, you know, wrote about us in Buzz Bands. Yeah, I saw. That's, like, that's some high praise, dude. Like, and that was coming on, this is the first thing I've ever released. Yeah. And nobody knew who we are. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd played like six shows at that point. Mm-hmm. Because I wrote this album before I'd even played a show. So, oh, so you, did you ever play any shows on your own? Just coffee shops or something like that? Uh, you mean when I was writing this? No. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. Dang. All right. No, I worked all of this at home. I produced it all at home. I yeah. didn't rely on any sort of 
feedback from audience or anything, which is probably why there's not a huge audience for it. <laughs> um, no, I'm joking. It's just a, what it is, is like in this digital age, it's not about, uh, you know, for so long it was about releasing as much as possible and yeah. like, you know, the single thing, right? Now it's more about because audiences are so broken up and everything's subverted into genre. Yeah. It's finding your audience. You have to invest more in your listener now mm. than you than previously. Like when I was growing up and finding out new bands, they weren't investing time in me. <laughs> like I was investing all my time and energy yeah. in them. Yeah. Now it's kind of changed that relationship. As the the artist, there is a certain expectation that is follows where it's like yeah they you do have to invest in your listener a little bit more than they invest in you at first well back to social media it's in your hands now it didn't used to be and now marketing beyond your label beyond your 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 uh publicist it's on you you have access to your social media accounts that you reluctantly <laughs> opened up you know but yeah and like the thing is is like the job that i'm doing as far as investing in the listener mm. that used to be the marketers yeah yeah and it job. still is but it's it's still largely you especially because it's your voice you know you can have somebody speak for you but if you want to discuss anything if you want to throw any ideas out there if you want to ask people their opinions i mean that didn't used to be possible no and I, it it does make me wonder though is are things being subverted into genre because of echo chambers? Yeah. Like, and of course they are. Mm -hmm. And because of that, when you hear music that you can't quite put a finger on, mm -hmm. you're more likely to dismiss it. That's gross. I don't like that. I. But it's true. <laughs> it but is it's true. true. It's true. But that's a bad listening habit. Uh, yeah. Well, that's a listening habit, though, that unfortunately is pervasive yeah. and is a part of the grander <laughs> picture now. Yeah. Like, and like going back to conversations of once things start, like they don't stop. Yeah. One has to wonder, okay, with this, cause again, some things come full circle, right? Yeah. Especially in music, a lot of stuff comes full circle. Mm. So when I wrote the album and released the full, I was hedging on the full album is coming full circle. Yeah. I was hedging my bets on that. Am I right? Who knows? <laughs> There's time will tell. Time will tell. <laughs> However, the listening habits of people say otherwise. They say I was pretty fucking wrong. And, you know, like a lot of the material that I wrote on the first album, if you don't listen, if you don't get past the first 30 seconds, you're not even going to get the song a lot of times. Yeah. And that's another, that's a bad habit that a lot of people have always had too. Like I had to break myself of that habit in the early days of listening to music of like, if I didn't like this right away, I just change it. And that's... That's not how you listen to music. No, you and you have to learn that. That is learned behavior, you know? It's interesting because that never was like that for me. No? No. Oh, man. Like I listened, it, I, I grew up listening to the radio with, like, mm. passively with my parents. Well, see, that's yeah. why I never, I think that's because of the radio, that's why it never happened to me. Because oh, the radio station wasn't changed. Because uh, I was riding in my mom's car. Mm -hmm. She doesn't change the radio. It stays on what she listens to. Oh, my mom changed it all the time. And so, but but because of that, because of what she was listening to was stuff from the 50s, uh -huh. um, a lot of it, 50s and early 60s, mm -hmm. that made me get a, an appreciation for that kind of music at an earlier age. Like, I would say 
before Nirvana, before Guns N' Roses, before Metallica, yeah. before fucking Dr. Dre, The Temptations. Yeah. <laughs> those probably, they probably had the first impact, real impact on me because those are the songs I remember. You know, I wonder if the Roots, listening to Root music, mm. had an effect on that. Because back then they were le- releasing a lot of singles, 45s, you know. Oh, dude, that's what's come full circle. Is yeah. like I've, I've had that conversation where the last like five to six years of music, it's basically been the 50s again. <laughs> where it's just, there's payola, where you're yeah. paying Spotify playlisters to put your yeah. songs on. Everybody's focusing on just releasing singles. People are doing more covers than ever before mm-hmm. like it's in, in releasing those as new singles yeah. right and getting famous off of them yeah like and people know that like musicians know that like and it, it you know like here's the reality about most musicians most musicians do not want to play covers mm. they don't want to be forced into playing covers they want to choose when they can play a cover yeah because i think musician i at least in this the shows that i go to the the circles that i run in there's a there's a cover somewhere at least in the riffing between songs in reference to something people like it yeah i can't imagine people wanting to be or not you know wanting to be forced to do it for sure and that's the thing is like you know when you're it it probably happens more to singer songwriters now because that's who people are hiring Mm. because that's where money is live like singer songwriter is where money is right now that's why a lot of musicians have gravitated towards it. Interesting. Um, well, I thought because, it was just trying to be DIY about it. Well, A, I would say there's a factor of not wanting to put together four fucking individuals to get on <laughs> yeah. schedule with one another. Yeah, because that's a pain in the um, ass. But it's also money. Yeah. Like, especially, like, if you're doing, like, the vineyard circuit and stuff like that. Did you go play three hours? And you're making $350, $400. Mm-hmm. And you can do that as a living, as a musician. Yeah, it's like not it's bad. One, it's one of the few ways that you can still make a living as a musician mm-hmm. by not releasing, you know, mainstream hits. Yeah. And as far as your actual music is concerned, mm-hmm. you know, live is the only way people are making music in general, money in general. Yeah. But for these like solo singer songwriter types, they're doing it because the money is good. Mm-hmm. Because like you do three or four of those a week, that pays your bills. Yeah. A lot of times. And that was the goal a lot of times. Yeah, right? yeah. But the problem with it, they're playing three hours of other people's music. Yeah. Yeah. You know, There's no creative uh, outlet beyond your own show. I mean, it, you could turn it into something that's yours, but you're still, like you said, playing someone else's music. Yeah. Yeah. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, no, covers are not fun. A, not everybody needs to be a, a songwriter. There's too many already. <laughs> um, but... You know, when thinking about the grander scheme of things, like with music and like career wise, it's like that's why it's so important to me to like start this touring thing. And, you know, like I was alluding to hitting these areas outside of L.A., Mm -hmm. hitting these like rural areas, because what I'm seeing kids are kids just like I was growing up. And I relate to this. I was outside of Cleveland. I was at the whims of anybody that would give me a ride to the city to see a show. Jesus. And. So I didn't get a lot of that growing up. Mm-hmm. These kids are in that same boat, but the difference is there's fucking venues that are opening up out there. Yeah. And these kids are getting an opportunity to finally see some music 
I want to be a part of that because mm-hmm. I think that's exciting because these kids are not city kids. They're not locked into the culture. They're not the cool kids. Mm-hmm. You know, they're fucking outcasts and weirdos. And I was an outcast and I was a weirdo. Mm-hmm. I've never been in the cool kids scene. I've never felt like I was a cool kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always just been on my own. Right. And that's what I relate to as far as, you know, that sort of youthful market is like, you know, there's a lot of kids that, just are not getting what they want artistically given to them and it's they're in the same boat that I was and that's frustrating you know where all you're fed is what what is mainstream Mm -hmm. because you're not tapped into that inner city culture yeah so you're not seeing some of that you know underground stuff yeah Um, you you don't get into the nitty-gritty of 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 that no and that's a very familiar feeling to me yeah you know from when I was growing up and so I I would love to be a part of like bringing like alternative music to these kids yeah you know and i don't mean alternative music in the in the classical sense yeah, yeah yeah just alternative to what they're being offered yeah it's uh it's upsetting when a scene dies in that sense during covid pomona i'm in pomona mm. and that scene kind of died because downtown is five or six venues one of them's gone um the glass house took years to years it took months to to open up again and simply like the fox theater and bands had to slowly kind of trickle back in and i wondered about yeah what are people gonna do now like you know we're we've got our friends playing bands uh, playing shows at like their house or something well, that's, no that is the answer. Yeah. Though. That is the answer. Like, look, for instance, this show I'm going to tonight, mm-hmm. this non-plus-ultra. It's like a warehouse. I, I didn't look it up on Google Maps. Uh-huh. No, you got an address. I got an address sent yeah. to me by somebody that's playing the show. Yeah. Like, that like is, those Ask a Punk shows. That yeah. is the new thing. Yeah. Like, you know, I see it more and more, like, no geotagging, things like that. It's like, mm. look, I get why. Like, I'm for, like, after leaving Ohio, I moved to Chicago for 12 years. Chicago is house scene. Yeah. It's, it's like house music was started in Chicago. The reason why it's called house music is because it was started in a fucking warehouse. Mm. Like, that was off the grid. Yeah. It wasn't a venue. Like, it was house music. Like oh, the beauty. <laughs> the glory days before uh, geotagging. Yeah, but but because of that, like, house shows were a thing. Yeah. Like, gr- in Chicago, like, that scene was fucking wicked, man. Like, and I lived in a place with three other dudes who were all musicians. Mm. We threw house shows every single weekend. Oh, cool. And it was a way for our friends' bands to be able to play somewhere for people. And every single show was packed. Like, there was times when I felt like the floor was going to cave in. <laughs> and, you know, when, like, thinking back on how fortunate I was to grow grow up and be a part of that and, like, see all that, mm. that's how, like, that just reaffirms to me, like, you know that 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 the house show scene is i think going to start building a lot more momentum especially because venues have made it a lot more difficult for up and coming bands to get in mm. you know because they need to recoup expenses right yeah um or they're now owned by live nation so it's like yeah. they're they're going to make it really difficult mm. uh for up and coming bands to get in there because up and coming bands don't sell tickets yeah i don't sell tickets Mm. I, I, I think my music is worthy of selling tickets. I think my music is worthy of being heard and being yeah. viewed live. However, that just doesn't fucking matter if nobody knows you. And 
Yeah. At the same time, these kids that go to these house shows, they're going to the house shows for a reason. Yeah. Because they don't have money to spend on a fucking ten dollar fee. Yeah. Like they, I, but they have two dollars. They have two dollars. Yeah. Hundred fucking percent, they do. Yeah. And if two dollars gets them all they can drink, they definitely have. That. <laughs> you know like or if they can bring their own booze which yeah. is what we did mm-hmm. which is why we were going to house shows because we couldn't afford bars yeah like and it was it was uh i i almost want to call it gatekeeping in a sense when venues do that or bars do that well yeah, i mean I, it I is it is gatekeeping i mean yeah. it, it i mean look that 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 is what a cover fee is all about it's about gatekeeping mm-hmm. it's about keeping people out there are not going to spend money. Yeah, yeah. You, know? you can't afford ten bucks. You can't afford eight dollars on a beer. Exactly. Yeah. And back then, I mean, beers were two dollars, but I still couldn't afford that. Yeah. You know. Like, yeah. Um, and so you're out. You you miss out on this cultural experience. Yeah. And, and so what do you do? You resent that, and so you go to a house show where it's loud. Yeah. And it's heavy, and it's fucking punk shoulder rock, shoulder. and it's like. Yeah, it's gross. You 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 smoke cigarettes. You put them out on the floor. You know, <laughs> you fucking do coke on the table right there. There's yeah. one bathroom. There's one bathroom, and guaranteed somebody's banging in there. Yeah, and I, and, you no, know, one dude is taking a shit. Yeah, or <laughs> or or doing away. dope. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like uh, like. But that's what I loved about house shows, man. Is like as much as much as like there's there's some depravity in them like they were just visceral and they were just it was pure it was pure yeah. it was honest in its most uh, in its most you know form yeah. well i feel like maybe 80 90% of the people at a house show i'd like to think 90% are there for that reason they're there the for other, the music yeah and no. the other 10% are friends of friends yeah. people just they want something to do cool whatever come you know enjoy it but Ninety percent are there for that, for the music, for the bands that are there, and just for the and for the, the entire experience and the energy, the energy, and the energy. Uh, yeah. yeah, and the drugs, and the drugs. Yeah. <laughs> um, the drugs are always around, and like, you know, now being, you know, an older musician as far as you know what things are considered, uh, you know. Uh, I have to rely on venues to get my music out because I'm not in the the crowd that's throwing these shows. Yeah. You know, like if my name is on a venue, then these people throwing these shows will hear of my name. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, it's a, marketing. It's, it's marketing. Yeah. And like the reality is, is that these house shows for me, I think they're a really good opportunity for young bands to really make an impact and gain a following mm-hmm. while you're still learning how to be a musician. Yeah. You know, what they're not exactly great for is developing your sound live. <laughs> and so that's where I'm different is that's also where the venue comes into play is mm-hmm. because at this point it's like, I, can, I know that if I play loud, people are going to be into it because it's loud fucking music. And what young kid is not going to like loud fucking music? Yeah. Like, you're a geek if you don't. <laughs> like, but now I'm at a point where I'm worried more about the refined sound of the music. The music is the most important thing. Yeah. It's less about the venue than it is about the music. And so now I have, that's my main concern. So that's where obviously venues come into play. 
Well, you you need their sound system. You need their sound system yeah. because the sound systems at house shows are not good. Yeah, they never have been and yeah. never will be, <laughs> and they shouldn't be. Yeah, no, like, there, not- there's a there's a beauty and charm to that that shit little little soundboard yeah. that <laughs> you know it barely does anything. Yeah, and, that's having a beer sit on it, and you yeah, know. someone spilled on the amp, and there's something to it. There is, and you know, but now I'm at a different point where it's like I want to hear. I want to hear my fucking kick drum mic'd. <laughs> it's a lot to ask, dude. Come on. Um, <laughs> so, well. uh, I yeah, I miss uh, I miss house shows. The during during COVID, I was watching with my girlfriend uh, Anthony Bourdain in Nashville. Oh, well. You remember that one? I didn't see that one. Oh, I'll send it to you. It's but Nashville is fucking was dope, man. Like, because yeah. it's so close to. Sorry, I don't want to cut you off. Oh, you're Finish good. your story. No, 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 you're good. Uh, uh, no, like, because Nashville was only seven hours from Chicago. Only seven hours, man. That sounds like a lot, dude. <laughs> it's the Midwest, man. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I have no problem like driving. Like people always like dumbfounded that i'm cool with driving up to la on like a random day i was just like dude dude, it's like three hours it's like yeah when you hit some traffic they're like yeah but it's three hours and it's like i'm all right with it yeah i mean i I don't know dude i hear we're we're spoiled by how things close how close things are yeah and like honestly dude the road for me is it always has felt a little bit like home Mm. and i don't even just mean that in the touring sense just being on the road being traveling it's Mm. always felt very familial so i really don't mind it at all man i'd say the only thing that sucks is back pain sitting in a car too long yeah Um, two hours does that to you right (laughs) but yeah man i i I actually really love it i just you know i get to listen to music get to you know throw on an audiobook whatever like it is what you make of it right it's yeah, like yeah. you know i think there's a big thing of that when it comes to m- music it's like you do have to make the most of every opportunity no matter small or big it's like because that's where you'll find the joy and and i mean that in the true sense of like even just driving up here to go see a show tonight to see some friends play mm-hmm. meet up with you do this podcast to put my band's name out there yeah it's like if I just spent my whole time driving up here pissed off because I'm sitting in fucking traffic, I'm going to get on the mic with you and it's going to be like, people are going to feel that. They're going to hear that in my voice. And everybody already has their own issues, their <laughs> own fucking problems. They don't want to hear about yours. Yeah. You know, they, if anything, they want to gain some knowledge from maybe what you have to say. Yeah. You know, and that's where the art comes into play. But when it comes to everything surrounding, like doing the music thing, it's like you got to just enjoy it, man. Because if you even get the, if you even get to play a show out of your, out of your home city, mm-hmm. you've gone further than a lot of people. And a lot of people don't play shows at all. A lot if of people you don't even get that one from. show. Yeah, you know, like, and so. I I think if you really are in it for the right reasons, you'll find the joy wherever you can. Mm -hmm. And if you're in it for the wrong reasons, you're going to spend a lot of time angry because nothing's going to go your way. Like for a very long time, if it ever does, you'll find everything wrong with what what's happening. You'll find every misstep. You won't even see it as an opportunity. Something that people need to ask themselves all the time. I think, especially musicians, not just during COVID, but 
I mean, through through everything, through the through all the strife of playing shows and and writing music, it's like ask yourself, do I want this? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is no, then don't do it. It's pretty simple. If, yeah, mm-hmm. if you have to think about it too long. And and just, one thing I want to make clear yeah. is like I've been ba- in some way or another I've been a musician basically my whole life. Mm-hmm. I still ask myself that same question. Mm-hmm. So it and what that says to me is every single musician does. Yeah. Like no matter where you're at, like, mm. and you have to ask yourself that question because you're right. If the answer is no, then you should stop doing it because spare everybody, spare everybody the bullshit. Yeah. And you spare know, yourself too. spare the, yourself the, the heartache bullsh- and the stress. And this is not an easy life. Yeah. There's a, there's a little bit to that. I think it's also, you know, from a, from a sort of asshole perspective, it is spare everybody else your bullshit <laughs> because it's like, dude, like, I don't want to give you a chance just to find out that, oh, I can hear in the first moment that you're not an honest musician. Yeah. Like. Sometimes you can hear money. Well, sometimes you can hear money. Sometimes you can hear no heart. Yeah. And That's the worst. And I'd rather the, hear money than I'd no rather heart. Hear no, I'd rather hear money than no heart. Yeah. Because money can't buy you heart. Yeah. You know, but if you have no heart, people are going to hear it. Yeah. Right? And like, and, and I think, um. You know, especially if you're a new artist, you're you need to make sure that whatever you put out there first in the world has heart to it, because that is timeless. Mm-hmm. That right there is timeless, and that goes back to the whole, you know, quality over quantity thing. Mm-hmm. It's like that plays into it too, because for me, quality generally has more heart. You yeah, know, it has more. It, it has more heart to it, and that for me is timeless. Well, you don't crank out quality. You don't crank out heart. Yeah, you don't because crank out heart. If 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 you could crank out heart, man, and then you're Billy Joel. <laughs> I think the thing is, is like there is a sort of romantic nature to being a songwriter, to thinking about like the moment that I can't write another song is the moment that my heart has stopped in that sense. And you know, if you're if you truly believe in like that troubadour like lifestyle i think once your once your work is done that's when you're done but the good thing is is your work will always last longer than you yeah and you know there was a sort certain poeticism to that that i i i gleaned pretty young mm-hmm. and it it became very uh interesting for me to find out as i grew up and found more musicians that inspired me in life that a lot of them kind of had that same outlook. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think there that, that, that when thinking, am I going to really go for this as like a living or career path, whatever, as a life, mm-hmm. you got to give everything. Yeah. And, it's it's and, every and every you, day everything you do. You got to give everything and expect nothing. Yeah, like that's a really hard thing to do, and I don't blame anybody for not being. I don't blame anybody for being not stupid enough to do that, <laughs> <laughs> because I do think it's a foolish thing. Mm. But at the same time, it's my favorite thing. I love everything about it. I love everything about it. Yeah, I always have. Um, it's the difference between art and a product you know do you want to just crank out products or do you want to create art if you want to create art that requires things that 
creating a product doesn't require. Creating a product can give you at least some optimism that you might turn a profit one day. Yeah. Creating art... What So this is actually an interesting... Because I, I kind of am just thinking about this now for the first time. I've I've had this thing recently where we we've gotten some merch done recently mm-hmm. for a band and I was thinking about sort of like that sort of existential part of it all which is like this is branding this is like building the brand right and, mm-hmm. you know how much of this is infecting the music side of things and what I what I realized at that moment right now is like you truly can separate that you truly can and if you do it you, if you do it, then you could be a success doing this mm-hmm. as an artist. Yeah. But if you're just in it for just the art and nothing else, mm-hmm. you shouldn't expect to ever make any money. And you should never expect to, you know, be able to support yourself. Yeah. If that's what you want to do, then you're, yeah, you have to manage expectations. And because you're not going to focus on making the, money, then you're not going to. Obviously, you're not going to play that much because there's no financial incentive and you have bills to pay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I I, I, I recently uh, started doing this where I'm busking now mm-hmm. again. Nice. For the first time in a long, long time. Cool. So I started doing that again. Um, you know, it buys me cigarette money. <laughs> uh, uh, but if, if anything, um, I'm doing it now. Because I realize that even in the state that I'm at right now, which is that I have a working band, mm-hmm. I'm playing shows pretty consistently, I'm getting tours put together, I'm recording, all the stuff that you want to be doing as a musician I'm mm-hmm. doing. But yet I'm still not feeling fulfilled. And it, and so it's like, the reason why is because I still have downtime. So it's like, all right, in that downtime, that's what I'm going to start doing. I'm going to start busking. Start playing for more people. Mm-hmm getting the name out there and the reason why i bring that up is because i think busking has a certain like negative connotation to it that it's generally for like we're weary travelers or <laughs> you know for people that can't get a gig yeah uh depending on who you ask it could look desperate it could look no. yeah and i love it i think it's cool <laughs> i think i th- actually think it's what made the 50s and 40s such a great time for music it was because yeah. you think back to like Beale Street in Memphis, like the whole history behind Beale Street. Yeah. You know, the history behind, you know, yeah, Nashville and like New York City. And, you know, of course, New Orleans being a, the biggest representative of it all mm. as far as busking is concerned in the States. But, man, busking is like inspired so much great music back then. Mm-hmm. And I think it's not really taken advantage of the way that it should be. It's like, if you can give people a way to, if you can force your original music on people, yeah, you should take that chance. Yeah. Like it's, it's selfish. It is, but you never know. Like you never yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, like you could gain some really, like really like diehard, like loyal fan base yeah. that way. You really could. Yeah. Like where you gain followers that come to your paid shows because mm-hmm. they want to hear the full band. And that's sort of my mindset. And it, it's like, you know, when thinking about things from a business perspective, that's sort of the avenue I've taken when it comes to the brand mm-hmm. of this band or whatever the whatever you want to call it. It's like 
if it's artistic and it's with the music, I can get on board. For yeah. That. You know, as long as it deals with that. Yeah. I, anything else is it's for the birds. Leave it alone. It's not going to help you. Mm hmm. In, in what's like, what, what, what would you call a distraction from that in a busking world? Uh, oh, in a busking world. Yeah, oh, yeah. no, no. I just mean like using busking as another way of marketing you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Instead of relying on the, the what a lot of people think it takes, which is go pay somebody to market or, or you know, market your band or promote your band and yeah. stuff like that. It's like, yeah, you can do that, but you should also be actively promoting, right? Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is that in that in doing those promotions, I think it should still be a creative outlet oh, I see and it, you should yeah, still yeah, yeah. be doing something that takes some artistic merit right like right. because i think that kind of evens out the selling of your soul <laughs> um you're getting something out of yeah, it. yeah and least. so i think if it's not that it's not worth your time doing because as an artist it's not gonna it's not gonna make you a better artist so what's the point in it right it, then you're just kind of wasting time well yeah and i'm that's where you know you look at mainstream and it's like it's the same thing as uh, like uh, like independent musicians. It's like they aren't really making money off their music. They're mm. making money off their live performances, but then their clothing brands, yeah, their perfumes, their liquor companies. Mm -hmm. It's all other stuff. It's all other stuff. Yeah, that's maybe why they're going to be more financially successful than you or me. But but, <laughs> but yeah, are they going to be proud of what they put? put out into the world as an artist at the end of their days no because they're not even going to be fucking thinking about it back to product versus art and that's yeah. the difference between you the listener who's maybe playing in some garage somewhere and them yeah is you have an advantage on them because you have what they don't have anymore yeah and if you nurture that and work that and develop that mm -hmm. nobody can stop you then be undeniable it's a, that's really what it is that's about being undeniable right yeah it's like if you're undeniable to yourself and like completely honest with yourself artistically you're going to be undeniable to the world yeah and people can tell when yeah. you believe in yourself you're not beyond being you know having stage fright or being looking nervous or anything like that people can tell i think when you have a heart you know mm -hmm. um, when your heart is in this whatever it is you're doing uh, of course in this sense music uh and when they don't or when you don't people can smell it you know i can it's, smell that you're here to do something else this isn't why you're here no you can you smell know? bullshit yeah really easily yeah and it sucks you know it sucks but it's also like if you have a good bullshit detector man it's going to save you a lot of time and headaches in life. <laughs> yeah. um i think with music the nice thing is is that a lot of times if you're going to do it through the route of like independent musician and building in a scene people will know your bullshit immediately yeah like the mass consumer is not going to be able to tell that no because what they're used to consuming that already well, and everything's yeah. fed to them. I'll never forget. You know, truer words have never been spoken about, like busking and having heart and all that. A, a friend of mine, years ago, he played a... He just wanted to play a gig. He he would play at this little coffee shop that we would hang out in, and not even for, you know, the coffee shop. He would just We would just sit outside, and he'd play his guitar. And he wanted a gig so bad. Finally got a gig at this other coffee shop, 
and a few people were there. It was cool. He he felt great. It was his first one. You know, it was everything he wanted. Until afterwards, we we leave. We're packing up, and he um, he just decides to busk like right around the corner in this alley. One light, you know, shining on this area, and just decided to play. He's like, "Hey, I'm just gonna play for a little bit. If you want to, you know, stick around." I was like, "Cool. I'm taking pictures." And uh, he's playing by himself. Some other dude comes by. He's like, "Oh, I was gonna play at this coffee shop. You mind if I just jam with you?" They start jamming together. He's got this machine kills fascists on his guitar, you know, like Woody Guthrie. And these guys, they hit it off instantly because they're both playing similar stuff. And they start jamming together. 10, 12 kids in a short period of time come over and we're, they're just watching. And eventually they sit down and just like block a car <laughs> trying to get through this area. And like, there's your show. Yeah. You're busking just out of the blue. Just completely out, organic. Completely organic. And, the, you know, that's also one thing that... It, in a war you know going back to like the busking conversation yeah you'll meet some fascinating people that that Mm -hmm. way and like there's been some incredibly successful people that started off with just busking you know um bob dylan i think started busking right yeah i'm pretty sure all those folk artists did (laughs) as far as like contemporary uh uh contemporary um examples uh sierra uh farrell is that her name sierra Sierra elizabeth farrell I don't know. She's a she's getting to be like one of the bigger country stars, but uh-huh. like, we're talking good country. Yeah, um, she's she's from West Virginia, mm-hmm. and she spent like the first decade I want to say of her career just busking across the country. That's all she did. That's so crazy. Yeah. And that's the heart because by year five, most do you people, think her by year one most people yeah. are done. Yeah, like I mean, you give up. You right, that's up. the the great filter is probably year one. But you know you what she was doing then. during that whole time? She was building stories, mm-hmm. and that's why she was so successful. Yeah, right? it's because not only was country music coming back right as she was hitting, mm-hmm. which is great for her. Uh, if you're caught up in a trend, man, that's all you can hope for. Yeah. Um, so she was caught up in that, and then on top of that, she's got good stories to tell mm-hmm. because she's been living this life on the road. And she's got something to say. Yeah. And that's what people want to hear. Yeah. yeah. Where else are you going to hear stories like that? No one has stories like that. Mm. And the few people who do have different versions of those stories. And it's all just new organic stuff. Yeah. And I think, you know, when thinking about, like, storytelling in general, I think that's why country music's got gotten popular again is because people have latched onto storytelling once again. And lyrics mm. are becoming more important again. Yeah. Which I'm very thankful for. <laughs> uh, look, I love Radiohead as much as the next person, but they killed the idea of modern lyricism with Kid <laughs> A. And they purposefully, yeah, I mean, that was one of his objectives, Tom. Really? It's one of the things he said. To was, kill uh, was, was, was that lyri- Was that lyrical content didn't matter anymore. Hmm. And Well, he said some pretty outrageous things in his writing, so yeah. if people stopped caring, then I guess that makes sense. <laughs> Or maybe people just stop caring about your lyrics. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, no. Okay, Computer I, but, was a great album. Uh, yeah. No, <laughs> I think he's right about that, though. And yeah. But now it's come back a little bit because storytelling has come back. And then there's also a reason why I think country music got popular again, and that's because we're so divided, man, as people, yeah. that people are gravitating towards nostalgia and familial. Mm-hmm. And what's more familial than the root of all like modern music mm. is country and jazz and 
you know, blues <laughs> and, you know, things like that. Like, I mean, there is something to be said about that. I was going to say uh, whiskey and driving your truck and things like that. Well, I think, I think <laughs> that I, those are the songs I keep hearing on the mainstream anyway. Well, what's funny to me is like, it's in, it's, it's, it's been immersed into like mainstream, like city life too. Yeah. Like LA and shit. That's what's funny to me is I grew up in a rural area where all I wanted to do was escape to the city. And all you ever felt in that rural area was that city people looked down on you. Yeah. And now everybody in the city wants to be a country. Isn't that annoying? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I th- I'd say rather than annoying. I stopped, <laughs> I think I stopped caring about what other people do enough to not like have any sort of like negative reaction to it. Mm-hmm. But I do, th- I do think it's funny. I do think mm-hmm. it's funny seeing, you know, now all of a sudden everybody likes wearing cowboy boots. Cowboy boots are fucking uncomfortable. <laughs> like they're not. Let them en- learn. They're not enjoyable to wear. <laughs> they're literally not. Yeah. Like, there's nothing anybody can say to convince you otherwise either. <laughs> they're not comfortable. Yeah. They're supposed to be tight. They're right? supposed to be uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> like they're not meant for walking. <laughs> um. Uh. But That's no, so there's. Funny. But. It, the it is interesting because i think you know it is also symbolic though of people like having enough of the city life like they want to get back out to, to the country like it's like a biological need for it right it's like it's yeah. when people go hiking yeah it creates yeah. endorphins that you don't naturally get anymore yeah. it's for that i i really like that <laughs> i just think of i'm still thinking of I've been wearing glasses my entire life. And you remember that fad when everybody was wearing glasses without lenses? Uh, yeah. I used to be called Four Eyes until that happened. And I was, <laughs> I was like, this is so annoying. Well, see, all you got to do is <laughs> wait on the thing that makes you uncool cool. Yeah. And then everybody will leave you the fuck alone. <laughs> uh, I guess that's what you got to do. You just got to wait it out. You just got to wait it out. That's what <laughs> life is all about. <laughs> waiting out your diff- Waiting out the thing that makes you, like, different from people yeah until it becomes cool and then you're not different anymore yeah because it eventually will be no because then then you're just part of the fad yeah that too you don't want to yeah wait it out don't join it yeah it's it's hard to not join something that you're naturally a part of organically yeah yeah because i got asked more than once if my glasses were real and i'm like yeah they actually are yeah you know i i think uh Thankfully, I missed a lot of those trends. Mm. I, you know, one of the few things I have heroin to thank for mm. was that you don't pay much attention to everything else. <laughs> <laughs> it had its uh, cultural benefits, I guess. It had its cultural benefits, <laughs> yeah. You don't become a hipster. But then everybody started doing heroin, so then I was a hipster for that. Yeah, so I was going to say, that became a... Yeah, that kind of <laughs> took took away the one thing that I had going. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, that was that was actually even uh, that was actually kind of fucked up that it became like a hipster thing because uh, I was actually doing it around that time. Yeah, and back in Chicago, which it was like hipster central. Um, oh, Coke was the thing out here for hipsters. That was I, I'm sure it was everywhere, but like here it was Coke, and I remember heroin be, being a thing for a bit, but Coke was the thing, and every every hipster. That was the hipster thing. Yeah, I liked yeah. Coke a lot too. Uh, I mean, I loved cocaine. Actually, let's take that back. Let's you loved? Refer- I loved cocaine. Yeah, yeah I like. <laughs> I loved it all. Yeah. Um, 
but now yeah dope was really big it influenced a lot of the music like that you hear from that time man that's why a lot of it's not very good um from that area meaning mm. um yeah it, it really hit chicago hard and like i was i was living in it man i was right down the street from k-town which is like the main area in chicago mm. and, uh, it was uh it was not great um it's well, not ideal conditions not an ideal time in my life yeah. but you know what what i will say is like thankfully i think drugs have finally lost the stigma of being cool yeah like meaning, you, still find, meaning, you still find the holdouts you still find the holdouts but for the most part like look and what i mean by that is in popular mainstream culture drugs have never been cool like yeah like heroin's never been viewed as cool like it wasn't like the varsity football player was gonna be like dude let's do some heroin this is cool yeah train spotting was definitely a warning message all around i think in movies like if you were smart (laughs) well did anybody pick it up as a uh, as a cultural trend you know unfortunately it did not impact me the way that it should have impacted me Mm. (laughs) unfortunately it was like that looks like fun (laughs) um but no what i I mean by that is like uh, now i think kids are less reluctant to do drugs and Mm. have seen enough example that look can it do some things for you creatively at first 100 percent, it will yeah it will like i still remember the first time i ever played guitar on heroin i thought i was the best guitar player there ever was (laughs) i'm sure i wasn't but you had the confidence but i had the confidence right Mm. and it's so like what confidence can do for you creatively is a lot Mm -hmm. however everybody knows what happens Mm -hmm. like it's it's the same story every time it's never any different yeah you know there's not exceptions to the rules either like and i hate when people say that like well what about keith richards or you know but it's like when's the last rolling stones album that mattered (laughs) when was that written before they quit like with (laughs) well it definitely wasn't any time in the last 50 fucking years no like and what i mean by that is you get burnt out no matter how great you are at doing drugs. Yeah. You're going to get burnt out creatively because yeah. the spark is going to be gone because it's going to steal everything away from you. Yeah. It, it becomes a just pure distraction. Well, it's a, it's a, what, what it is is like all your, like specifically your creativity, all of it goes into that drug. Yeah. It stops giving anything back. Yeah. Like it start yeah. it just takes, right? And that's the whole like argument about it's like at first it gives you a little bit. And then it just starts to take more than it ever gives. And then eventually it doesn't give it all. Yeah. It just takes. And so that was that, the thing that they didn't talk about with uh, what they used to say, chasing the dragon and all that sort of thing, like always chasing the high. What they never mentioned or what they forgot to mention or didn't mention enough is that it's not even about that anymore. It goes beyond that. Like that's that was the first couple of weeks or something when you're chasing it. After that, it's a whole different animal. Well, I mean, dude, like after your body's hooked it's just a it's literally just about not getting sick yeah like it's because you're not getting high anymore yeah like not the way you were so you don't even like it yeah like it's just about not getting sick yeah you don't want to feel good you just don't want to feel like shit no i spent maybe six months actually enjoying the drug and several years just not wanting to get sick yeah you know and you know that's opiates in general and like i mean you know that's why I think cocaine is so addictive for people and why it still has a lot of usage is because it works. It it always works. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like, doesn't matter how much you do, you'll still get higher. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
<laughs> which is which is why I've never touched it. I knew I would Good like it. Good for you. Good yeah. for you. Everybody everybody <laughs> likes it. Uh, like I don't know anybody that wouldn't like it. I met one person who said they didn't like it and I was like, I don't believe you. <laughs> I I just don't think they did a good coke. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> I was like, I've never. That was one person of everyone I know who's ever tried it, who's yeah. ever done it. I'm like, dude, it's nah, the one drug. It's the one drug I don't buy anybody not liking. Like everything else, I can understand. Mm. Oh, you don't like profusely vomiting after you shoot up? Sure, I get that. <laughs> you don't like like feeling like a lazy asshole after smoking a joint? I get that. Yeah, like, you don't like dr- drinking? I get that. But with coke, it's like I don't know how you don't like that. Mm-hmm. Everyone has told me it's the greatest thing they ever did. Yeah, well. I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know about all that. Not positive, but, uh, yeah. you know, uh, f- euphorically speaking. Euphorically speaking, I think I definitely still, like, I'm still rooted in psychedelics, man. Mm. Started doing those at a young age, so, like, I always... How young? Uh, 17. Mm. 17, yeah. It's always when I had the opportunity, mm. uh, and I never got around to it. But it was Why? always around 17, <laughs> like high school and stuff, when it was around a lot, you know? Well, if for a lot of people, it was a gateway drug, right? right? Yeah. Especially where I was from, like acid was huge. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, part of it was I started selling acid, so it made it pretty easy to have acid. Yeah. I didn't. I wasn't good at selling it. <laughs> I did most of it, yeah. but I technically sold it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> did you end up just eating the cost? <laughs> you, you I would bought say it? I evened out. <laughs> And it's really hard. It's I'll put it to you this way: anybody that's sold acid knows, acid is remark is a remarkable like markup on it. Oh, so if you're breaking even, that means you're doing a lot of acid. (laughs) (laughs) I heard it was cheap to make, and I don't, but I don't trust anybody to make acid. acid. Shitty acid is cheap to make. It's man hours. Oh, is it good acid? Is man hours. And, like, it's way better now than it was when I was growing up. Like, when I was growing up, they still had, like, stuff that would have, like, strychnine and shit like that in oh, it. Oh, God. See, that's why I never trusted it, because you have to make acid. Yeah, well... The, I, don't, I don't know anybody who makes it, so... Well, most of the time, I mean, I think there's only, like, two makers in the entire country of it. That's what I keep hearing, yeah. and that blows my mind. Well, at, at one point <laughs> it was three, and the biggest one got busted. He was in Ohio, actually. He, oh. he ran a farmhouse, and he had a farmhouse in Ohio that he did it in. Yeah. And he, at that point, he was responsible for 95% of the LSD that was found My in, in the United States. How much real estate is that on his part? To What what does a lab look like? Is that Oh, big it's or? pretty small. Yeah. I mean, they're not like huge things. Yeah. I mean, it could fit into a farmhouse. That's crazy. And he's um, supplying 90% for the country. Yeah. And there's three of them. Mm. <laughs> That's crazy. That's nuts. And then he got busted back in the late 90s, and that's when, like, acid supplies, like, dropped mm. substantially. Um, but, no, I I always liked uh, – psychedelics were always, like, a huge thing for me growing up. And, like, um, I think they're overused, and I think they're looked at as a solution now, which I think is dangerous. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about that, too. Um, yeah. yeah, you see more people, like, microdosing and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, like, look, no judgment – I'm the last person that should judge anybody. Mm. Like, whatever you want to do, you should do, you Mm -hmm. know? However, there's nothing in my history and my experience of doing substances that would tell me that's a good road to go down. Yeah. Like, But that comes from experience, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is... After the fact. And this is the thing, is, like, these... A lot of these people are inexperienced in these 
drugs to begin with like yeah. whereas like they've been a part of my entire life like i you know i've seen all the really negative side effects of psychedelics and i've seen all the positive ones mm-hmm. you know like where i grew up again like i said it was like psychedelics were a huge part of that mm-hmm. and so yeah i did see kids that had undiagnosed mental illnesses that were triggered from over abundance of psychedelic mm. use that does happen people should know that yeah they're discovering it with weed now yeah it, it, dude weed is look again i i smoked weed for a very long time and pretty habitually and it was a huge part of my life. I was never a pothead. I was never, like, in the weed li- lifestyle. Like, I was never part of that. Like, yeah. You never had um, the beanie with the no, pot leaf? Never ho- <laughs> hacky sack, never tied it. Um, <laughs> never listen to fish. Um, never. B- but it is also a very... Um, it is a very... Uh, how can I say it? Um, it's not as simple of a compound that people consider it to be mm. it's 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 got a lot more effects than people realize and i think yeah. that's that's indicative in our society with everybody having such anxiety issues and things of that nature i do believe it's because more people are just smoking weed and don't realize that it does cause you to have anxiety even when you're not using it like, yeah and there is a real thing with how strong weed has gotten that a hundred times as strong as it dude, was when we were growing up. When we up? were growing up, like there was maybe seven, eight, eleven percent THC in this stuff. Yeah, now you had to get the, the medicinal yeah, stuff. Now remember. the bottom strain is 22, 20. Yeah, like and on top of that, uh, everybody smokes oils, which are all like thirty milligrams plus of yeah. THC. There is a such thing that people are going through now: actual physical marijuana withdrawal. Yeah where they can't sleep they're profusely sweating like it, it is become a thing because of how strong weed has got yeah and i know that sounds so ridiculous but it is true it looking if you asked me back then if i thought it would sound you know be ridiculous it i would have said yes i would have said probably not it's probably better and it's probably more healthy and it's all the good things about it if it's if it's a hundred times stronger because it was it was already spoken of so highly back then no that's what i'm saying I oh would, i would have said yeah there wouldn't there won't be a problem oh yeah 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 because i hadn't yet realized myself yeah. until you get completely sober yeah and like this is where i i stay away from this conversation for the most part because i don't like to ever go into it because i i don't need to preach to anybody you know uh-huh. about success of sobriety like everybody knows there's success in sobriety <laughs> um the thing is is like with weed i had smoked it for so long every day that i didn't know that it made me different like yeah. meaning like i just thought that was who i was yeah until you quit smoking weed and then you're in a interesting spot because you realize how much of an effect it had on your day-to-day emotion and, yeah, you know, just abilities in general, you know, yeah. because you get so wrapped up in it, you forget that. Oh, this is still like a substance; it does do something to you. But it be, because it beca- it seems so benign compared to everything else. No, that was the argument for legalization: is that it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. But it just it doubled or quadrupled in in potency, and now here we are. Well, and like, look, I mean you add it to the already compounding factors of where society is and how unhealthy we are. Mm-hmm. 
this is an escapism tool. Yeah. Like it's a tool of escapism for, for a lot of people. Now. Yeah. And that's not good either. Yeah. Like, because escapism starts with that. And you know, that's where the whole idea of gateway drugs came in was you'll start with this, but then eventually that won't be enough. I'm not saying that's the case, mm-hmm. but escapism is still very much happening. Yeah. And that's not healthy. That's a scary thing is another scary thing is that maybe it is enough but only that and then that becomes enough and nothing else is enough nothing else compares so all you do is smoke weed or all you do is you know, well that's the idea is. of addiction yeah like you know one is never enough or one is uh, one is too many a thousand is never enough yeah like it's like that's the reality of addiction and like yeah. you know why people do have to choose full on sobriety is mm. because you know I'm walking to talking example of this mm-hmm. one is n- n- too much just once is too much yeah. 1000 is never enough like, yeah it is true it is part of like that idea yeah it's yeah. always easier said than done too to to only have a couple of yeah. beer or you know whatever a couple of drinks or a couple of a hit of this or that or it's like oh i can do i can do one or two drinks or i can do that no nah, sometimes maybe one well, that same like, attic mentality i hate those people yeah because fuck you <laughs> <laughs> who wants to do that who yeah. wants to just have a drink yeah like if you're gonna do it go all the way yeah like come on make a night of it yeah you know like that's it that yeah. that but that's you know that's the unhealthy part yeah. It's like, because you convince yourself that you're creating memories. <laughs> while uh, burning them. But while burning any yeah. chance of remembering them. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I, you know, had a lot of memory, memorable nights. I don't remember any of them. Yeah. It's kind of fun. <laughs> not, <laughs> not really. Also, the scary thing of uh, hearing those stories, <laughs> hearing from people who did remember later. No. And uh, those, that's not always fun. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so what are you listening to right now, music-wise? Uh, I've been listening to, well, first off, Idlewild. <laughs> this is yeah. uh, on repeat a lot. Really? Yeah, yeah. Right. Not just in preparation for this, but like I genuinely like the album. It's really good. Thanks, man. I really like the the directions you take, and every song, almost, almost every song feels like two songs, because you... you you almost veer off in a different direction, but you catch yourself mm-hmm. pretty quickly. And most evidently in track one, toward the end, you cut off, you cut off in one direction, in, in a different direction. And I really like the variety. Thanks. I really like that you're not, you're immediately not pigeoning, pigeon, pigeonholing yourself. I guess <laughs> that's the right way to say it. Yeah. That uh, you know what you're capable of, and you're not. You're not gonna let a single dictate that, and you're you're already you know you're branching out immediately. I, I think that's great. I think it's really um, really powerful. It's very nice of you to say. Yeah, yeah I think facts. I think you know like going back to like what we've touched on in this conversation. Like part of that is because I did want to display like like this al- that album is 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 a collection of stories right and yeah. the, with that collection of stories comes a timeline and in that timeline comes influences musically mm-hmm. 
all of those are enraptured in it. That's why it is like, it isn't pigeonholing myself because it is a very clear and distinct, um, I think, representation of what has inspired me musically in life. Mm. I think there is a little bit of everything in there. There's some chaos. There's some psychedelic, like... Mm natures to it there's some really spaced out like ambient parts Mm. and there's also like like i said earlier everything's kind of rooted in that singer songwriter idea Mm. but then you know it also goes into things like you know gospel and soul music and Mm. stuff like that which i grew up on which you know um i might explore more of at some point um but i i you know, I'm just glad that you know you enjoyed it, and that yeah. oh, it's a solid album, dude. For being for being your first, and for being born out of a uh, <laughs> pandemic, <laughs> it's uh, you had a lot to you had a lot on your plate. I think. I think the thing that I'm most proud about with that album is the fact that it is my first album, and mm. when I genuinely say like these are the first songs that I ever basically finished, yeah, yeah, that is a very true statement, and that's what I feel very like proud of. Yeah, is that I feel like I did put a pretty um, bold statement of an album out there mm-hmm. as my first one. Yeah, you know that's one thing. Is it? Is it anywhere near as good as what I can do musically, as as subjected as it is? No, but I think for a first album, it's it's something to, you know, hold uh, hold a little bit of regard for. That's yeah. that's something that I'm happy about. It's something it's something you should be proud of for sure. You know, I'm always very apprehensive with the pride word. You know, they, yeah. they, it always scares me. So, like, whenever I use it, I immediately, you know, get that feeling of. Uh, I like telling people that word. That makes me feel better. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like hearing it either. I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, but it's nonetheless. I mean, it's it is what it is. It's it's good, and you created it, and it's something to look back and say. Hopefully, you look back and say. You know, this is this was good. Yeah, I think you know? I, I what I already look at it as is like this was me, like again saying hello. This is who I am. Like mm. you know, the, welcome to my world, my little world that I have. Um, and now it's about now that I'm I've progressed as a songwriter because it's been a year and a half since that album came out, and it's been almost two and a half years since I wrote those songs. Mm-hmm. I've obviously been working hard and progressed as a songwriter that now I can look back on it and listen to the mistakes that I made Mm. and be able to like understand and utilize those in writing better songs and, you know, things that are more indicative of my talents as a songwriter. Yeah. So long as you don't weaponize them against you, you know, against yourself. Well, Well, I think what it is, is like with the first album, I think it was a representation of what I'm capable of musically. Yeah not so representative of what I'm capable of songwriting wise. Mm, okay. Like it, it was a, it was a preview of perhaps things that to come. Yeah. Right. But it was more grounded in the musical side. I still use that as a crutch mm-hmm. because before a songwriter, I was a musician, mm-hmm. you know, like first and foremost. So it's, it's like, a big jump. It, 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 and, and people don't realize just how different the two are. Mm-hmm. And so like, the first album was me still 
understanding what it is to be a songwriter and mm-hmm. you know what that means versus being a musician mm-hmm. you know because it it's a little different <laughs> you know and i always liked uh mitch hedberg had a quote about had a joke about um would you mind if i bum one of those dude? oh yeah of oh, course thank you he had a a joke about how people approached him to write for shows for like comedies and he's like these are two completely different things i do stand up i don't write shows which yeah. if you ask a lot of comedians or if you listen to a lot of comedians they'll say you know one led to the other or one was the goal while you did the other thing and and he said it was he said it was like asking a chef can can you farm mm. it's like the conceptually they're similar but they're two different things it's like so playing music and then writing music i wouldn't know where to start i'm not a musician uh i wouldn't know where to start you know so i get the strife of that i can i can understand i mean i'm in different disciplines i i can i think make comparisons but uh well you know where it starts is a lot of failure yeah like it's a lot of writing stuff that you're just going to throw away. Um, that's going to be the first draft is always done. It's going to be ninety nine percent of what you're going to write in the first couple of years of songwriting. You're going to throw it away. Yeah, and uh, that's as it goes, right? I mean, as it goes, yeah. yeah, as it should go, because you're nobody's brilliant the first song they write. Um, I wonder if anybody was. Do you think anybody was? I think the closest there could possibly be would be Dylan. <laughs> yeah. Um, I loved uh, his first album. had had some covers on it, right? But a lot of that yeah. was original. Uh, I think Man, a couple of the so song, a couple of the songs were originals. But yeah. I want to say like seventy five percent was covers. Um, Old him, him, or, him or maybe Johnny Cash. Yeah. You know, like the first song, and I mean. Of course, you can go back to classical sonatas and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. As after years and years of training, I'm sure Bach, Mozart, Beethoven, I'm sure their first song was pretty good. <laughs> like, but that's after years and years of training. Think the thing is with like Johnny Cash or like with Bob Dylan is like, man, they just they were born to songwrite, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> what they were put on this earth to do. Yeah. Could you imagine the if he ended up mining coal instead? No, mm. actually, because I think, and maybe I have to believe this for my own personal sake, my yeah. own sanity, is that it's just a matter of when you discover what you were put on this world to do. Yeah. it's If you get to discover it, man, you're a very fortunate human being. Mm-hmm. I think they were very fortunate that they got to find it out at a very young age. Yeah me not so much I don't think I really realized that songwriting was my true like gift that I wanted to open up as far as music Mm -hmm. is concerned I I stayed away from it for so long that I guess I didn't realize that that was really what was what where my heart was the whole time yeah you know and I think it took the time well and once I did discover that that's when everything else became less important and uh, it, w- it became really easy to become a healthy person mm-hmm. because being a healthy person makes me a better songwriter. Mm-hmm. And so it just made my life in general better. That's how I also knew was mm-hmm. because it didn't make my life worse. You know, and after <laughs> a lifetime of decisions of 
that just ended up making my life worse. Mm. This felt like one of the true instances where it was like nothing bad has come of this. Mm. All it's done is make me a better person. Yeah. And I think that's, if you feel that way about yourself, like the art is doing something for you Mm -hmm. that, you know, you perhaps didn't realize you needed so much. Yeah. And I'm not really a, a spiritual person. I used to be pretty religious as a kid, but there's something about music that going back to Dylan being born to do this, to do what he does. And some people just, that's their thing, right? They, they were meant to, I always wonder, are they coming out of, are they channeling something? I do. I think so. Yeah, I, I do. And I, I, I am a spiritual person. I believe in God. Um, what God is, no clue, no, no interest in trying to decipher or define it. Yeah. But I, I think you, I think there is something that you need spiritually inside of you to be an artist. Mm -hmm. You need to have a connection with that because, and that's why I do believe that God was running through Johnny Cash or Bob Dylan Mm -hmm. or Miles Davis or John Coltrane, Mm -hmm. Charlie Parker. Where else does that come from? You know, know, where else would that come from? Robert Johnson is the biggest example, right? Everybody. Yeah. If you want to go down the (laughs) the story of the crossroads, right? It's like nobody, everybody always said he sold his soul to the devil. Nobody ever said maybe just maybe God entered his soul. Mm. And that's the difference. And when I, you know, God is such a challenging word to say now. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Um, because it has so much taboo surrounding yeah. it. Well, there's a lot of uh, hijacking of that. Yeah, of that word. Yeah. And of what its meaning is. And, you know, for me, I, I feel like on the first record anyway, there is one song that, like, I felt like a spiritual, like, presence within and something bigger than myself was was the orchestrator of it mm-hmm. that's the last song on the album mm-hmm. um and the reason why is because i wrote that song after waking up out of a dead sleep with the melody in my head mm. and wrote that song in two hours okay the entire thing and it didn't change from the time i wrote it to the time it was recorded and released it was, it was perfect it as was, it came it out it was just exactly what it needed to be yeah and you know I don't brush aside what that song is about. It's about my mom, Mm. you know, it's about her death and sort of the life change that, 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 that causes in somebody. Yeah. And you know, like it's a, it's the most personal song to me. The, the, uh, the song that probably means more to me than anything else, but that I will never play live. Mm. You know, it's like it'll, it'll never be heard outside of the capacity in which it's heard on that record. Mm. Is it is it because um, I think you, it's too you, heavy. It's too, too heavy. heavy. It's oh. too heavy emotionally of a song to be playing live. Like, mm. like I have a lot of material on this album that's in minor mm. that already bums people out enough. <laughs> like, I don't need also like me to be singing about now that my mom's dead. I don't feel special. 
Like, yeah. You know, I'm weary of that. Yeah. Um, because, you know, um, I think you could. I think I could if we, if that song were to be known more. Yeah. Like, and people resonate with it because I think people that have had have have heard it. If you lost anybody in your life that meant anything, you yeah. can't not resonate with it. Yeah. Because it's not about the. It's not about the the vanity use of the word special it's about somebody in your life made you feel you know a certain way a certain way and that person's gone now and yeah what do you do when that person's gone yeah like are you no longer special yeah like because well, now that feeling is it's, it's just not the same anymore. yeah exactly it's, it's i'm reluctant to say it's gone but it's and so people can relate to that people can yeah. relate to that right but i think for what we do live it just doesn't fit like you know, when I talk about the album, it's very lush and spacious and, like, very, like, melancholy and, like, very quiet in mm. areas. We are not a quiet band live. Mm-hmm. We're a very loud band. And we make a lot of noise. Yeah. And I would say there's probably a bit more, you know, the dynamicism that's within, like, the album and what's recorded there, that's still present live, mm-hmm. but in a much noisier capacity. Yeah. And... That's why I really want people that maybe haven't have listened to our album that haven't registered with the music yet. Mm -hmm. They should see us live. Yeah. You know, I think like any band, if you're good live, man, nobody can, nobody can take that away. Yeah. It's it's a feeling. Yeah. It's a feeling. Yeah. It's like where we are now as a band live versus where we were when we first began. Obviously we're way better. But I think also what 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 has come about is we're connecting more with the people that are in that audience. Mm. Like our music is registering with them a bit more, and what we're trying to accomplish live is being presented, I think, in a more clear and concise way. What do you what do you take from the audience when you play? What do you what do you get from them? Well. You know, I, I actually, that's, that's a question that I don't know how to answer. Um, you know, because the reality is, is like playing for nobody sucks, right? Mm-hmm. What's worse, though, is playing for 20 people and none of them are paying attention to you. Because and they are there because, and they're not. And so yeah. when it comes down to what do I get from the audience, mm-hmm. I would say... I'm much more impacted by what I don't get mm. and that's attention ah. because at the end of the day, I am a entertainer, right? Yeah. So I want attention. <laughs> uh, I mean, I want my music to have attention. Yeah. But in but your music is you, but my music is me. So yeah. it's ultimately me wanting the attention. So it's like, there is a certain level of if the crowd isn't into it, that's going to affect you, but you have to push through that. Yeah. What I will say is through what the crowds weren't giving me at the beginning, mm-hmm. it pushed me to excel and become better. Mm-hmm. And for that, I'm really grateful. Okay. I would, and that's what I mean by I'm more moved and influenced by what I'm not getting from the crowd because that lets me know what I'm not doing on my end of things. On, right on my end of this relationship right yeah, yeah because if i start doing 
on my end of the relationship what's necessary, you'll start doing it on your end. Right, right. And if I'm not doing it, it's going to be indicative of what, of your lack of response. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, some audiences just suck. Dude, some audiences (laughs) just fucking suck. And it's not your fault at all. it's not your fault. Everybody, like, I've played shows where I've played with some pretty amazing, I've had a fortune playing some shows with some amazing musicians that nobody fucking gave a shit about. Yeah. And I know how good they were. (laughs) Exactly. I, I know how deserving of attention they were they are yeah yeah. um it's just the way of the the way of the beast yeah you know like and that's no maybe that's nobody's fault maybe that's just how it is well look from a musician standpoint i think there is a little bit of fault in going to a place and knowing there's going to be live music and not attempting to give your attention to those people yeah however I also understand if you just end up at a place and there's a musician playing and you're not paying attention for the sake of you weren't planning on seeing live music that night. Yeah. I think if you are going to a place where you are going with the know-all of mm-hmm. what is occurring there, that those people are deserving of your attention. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you're specifically into it or not, mm-hmm. it comes down to a respect thing. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm saying what any musician would say. I'm not saying what the audience member thinks. Like, I'm saying what I think. Yeah, yeah. So it's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I every show we play, no matter if we're first or last, I'm there to watch every band. Yeah. And I stay till the very end. Even if it's three hours away from home and I'm not going to get home till four in the morning, Mm -hmm. I still stay. And that's because that's what you do. That's part of it. That's a... That's a good quality to have. Yeah, and anybody that's, that's listening that's not doing that, yeah. fuck you. Like, seriously. <laughs> like, you're an S- asshole. Yeah, get there early, see the opener. Well, yeah, and especially if you're playing the show. Yeah. Like, how dare you not be there for the other people mm-hmm. like that are playing too? Like, and how, you know, that, that, that for me, when talking about, you know, the audience and what do they give me, you know, a lot of what I said seem to be from a negative standpoint mm. it's, it's not meant to be yeah yeah um but one thing that is negative is when you go to see a friend's band play and you immediately leave after you show up for that band and immediately leave right after that band yeah, yeah. it's like you're doing yourself a disservice mm-hmm. in my opinion because there could be your next favorite band playing mm-hmm. and i've had that experience before yeah where i left because I was an asshole. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I found out this band played and then I listened to him and I'm like, oh my God, I love this. Yeah. Why did I miss it? Yeah. So. I, uh, <laughs> I, I had one of those moments where I, I left early from a show because it was years ago. I had to, I had to get up in the morning. I did, I don't even know what I had to, I don't think I had to work. I think I had to do something else. And I was checking out this band who uh, played a killer show and they played longer than I was expecting, so I had to go. Um, but they ended up bringing the saxophone player from Hawkwind. Oh fuck! On stage, and I missed it. Uh. I missed it, and I missed it by like I don't know five songs. And then they then they brought him up, and I'm like, I'm never letting that happen again. No, because yeah. you never know what's gonna happen, man. Yeah. It's like <laughs> leaving the party. Early, yeah. You know, like yeah. That's the whole thing. Nobody wants to be the first person to leave the party mm-hmm. because they're gonna miss everything that happens after. Yeah. It's like the same concept. It's like, yeah. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of people that treat going out to see live music and not not in that way. A lot, for a lot of people, it's just something to do. It's just something to do. Yeah, and yeah. that and that's fine. Hundred percent. But for this, for mu- for live music, it's like if you just want to catch a some of a cover band at a bar, okay, cool. You're still gonna miss out on a great fucking cover, yeah. you know. Stay, just just stay, see what happens. And that's what it's about, right? Like, like, and that's where the patience of the listener needs to come into play. You know, going back to the original reason why we brought that up, which mm-hmm. was the songs on the record, like some of them starting 30 seconds in. Mm-hmm. It's like that if for anybody that listens to this and is going to check out our album, mm-hmm. like that's the one thing I would love to just kind of beat a dead horse on is be patient. Yeah. Like, don't turn it off because it hasn't because it, it doesn't have a hook in the first 30 seconds yeah the hook's coming motherfucker yeah. just wait for it wait 31 seconds yeah just wait <laughs> for it but anyway what was the last uh exceptional show that you caught that just stands out oh uh, yeah started? actually it was recent yeah uh it was alaska lynch alaska lynch and the maidens of fortune it's a badass name uh <laughs> Yeah, so he is what I can only surmise probably a theater kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's got that energy to yeah. him. You know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> uh, he plays accordion, but he put together this bevy of just really talented players mm-hmm. behind him. And man, the music's really, really, really fucking good. He does like this kind of spoken word, like poetry over top. Um, I the only thing I can like it it's like it's like if Gun Club wrote an orchestral record hmm. like you know how Jeffrey Pierce like would like almost talk over the music in Gun Club yeah it's it's so. almost yeah. like that it's okay. like it's like that in a sense um, is it a sort of like breaking away from from the song uh yeah yeah the, 100% yeah. and like it it's basically accordion folk music that's pretty like neat. it's it's basically folk music yeah um and he plays the accordion he's got two cellists in the band cool uh he's got a harpist he's got a piano player a fiddle player um a guitar player and then a percussionist mm mm-hmm. mhm and that was a hell of a show. That was a, that was one of my favorite. And then, um, Zo- Zo- I think her name's Zumi, Zumi, and Cole from Black Lips played after them. Oh, cool! Which they're always a wild time. Yeah, I caught Black Lips at Regent a long time ago, and that was a. They're just a, dude, a whole other thing, dude. I, when they were coming up, man, <laughs> they played in Chicago. Them. When they were when they were coming up, they came through Chicago a lot. Yeah. Those motherfuckers were filthy, <laughs> filthy individuals. Yeah. Um, and the shit that they would pull at fucking shows, <laughs> um, they were like a modern day, like Gigi Allen, but a full fucking band of them. <laughs> like, they were fucking nuts. Yeah. Those guys are not mentally well. <laughs> but I love that. Yeah. Um, Sometimes that's the price, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but shit, man! Some of the stuff that they've done is so cool. Yeah. They w- they went and toured the Middle East 
during a <laughs> during wartime. They were I like, did not know yeah, that. dude, yeah. they went touring through Egypt, uh-huh. Lebanon, like Afghanistan, Jeez. Pakistan. Like, I think they, I want to say they went into fucking Iran. To who? I want to know who they found there. I don't even know how the fuck they managed to do a tour like that. Yeah. But they straight went through the most dangerous part of the world and played their music. There. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Because <laughs> that makes me think of, there was this, uh, I forgot the name of the band, but it was a metal band out of Baghdad. That yeah, I, they came that? over to the States. Did they? I think. Didn't oh, they? I don't know. I didn't know. I remember. There was a documentary about it. Yeah. Yeah, I saw the documentary. I feel like they ended up coming to the States to tour or something. Oh, man. Maybe not. Maybe that would have been I'm something. <laughs> that would have been something, man. Cause Dude, well, a rock, like, I mean, dude, they love metal. They fucking love metal. Who knew? I had no idea. <laughs> when I saw the documentary, it's like, okay, there's a scene here. Well, I'll put it to you this way. Like, what your world is is directly influenced into what you listen to. Mm-hmm. And when your world is bombs dropping on your fucking head all the time, you're pretty pissed off at the world. Yeah. Because you have a pretty unfair go of it. Yeah. So metal music's going to fucking resonate because it's loud yeah. and it's mean and it's angry. Yeah. And that's in your fucking anger. Yeah. And, you know, that's, it's, you know, like metal itself comes from the most interesting of places. Yeah. Like Midwest. Midwest. Yeah. Uh, Nordic countries. Yeah. Middle East. Yeah. Extreme weather. Yeah. Extreme and, then, conditions. and then fucking South America. Yeah. Like, think about all the metal that was coming out of South America in the 90s. Brazil mm-hmm. was a hot spot. Mm-hmm. Like, it was Brazil and like Colombia, too, I think. Yeah, right? Colombia yeah. as well. And there's a reason for that, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, there's a reason. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it is. It's like, you know, it's the music of the, like, oftentimes it is the music of the disenfranchised. Yeah. You know, that is the loudest. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that. Yeah. Because when nobody pays attention to you, you think getting louder is going to be the way to get your get the attention. And oftentimes it is. Going back to Riverside, there's a big metal. There's always been a big metal scene there. I think you're always going to find it in those areas. Yeah, the areas that are often forgotten. Like yeah. man, like going back to where I grew up. It's like I lived in a town. It was a trailer, like Turnpike Town. Like mm-hmm. it was poor as fuck. And metal music just resonated. Mm-hmm. You know, like I remember the first time I heard Dillinger Escape Plan. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. M- meanwhile, most people that would hear that for the first time probably be like this is not music you know (laughs) and it was one of the most amazing things i'd ever heard Mm -hmm. like and you know at that time like the new york and like boston hardcore metal scenes and everything were producing some phenomenal bands Mm -hmm. like out of you know uh uh what was there what was uh hydrahead records remember hydrahead uh fucking isis oh uh, okay caven yeah uh converge like all those bands were coming out of there and that's that was uh boston yeah okay yeah that was all out of boston man like some pretty heavy hitters as far as like the metal scene is concerned it's nice to see that more than one could come out of a hole like yeah well yeah well well so like one of the guys in isis he owned hydrahead records so Mm -hmm. he basically just signed all of his friends who were just all happen to be incredible musicians yeah how lucky is that no. Like, like, well, Caven was a huge influence on mine growing up. Like, Caven was like this metal band that went 
completely against the grain and released that album Jupiter. Mm. And it was like written in Egyptian scales <laughs> and like it was a huge departure from everything else. Yeah. And it was singing. There was no screaming and yeah. stuff like that. So like they got like excommunicated from like the hardcore scene, but they still played all these hardcore shows. But that became a thing in itself. So yeah. yeah. And like around that time I was going to Pittsburgh a lot cause uh, I, my mom's family was in Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh had like this really cool hardcore scene too. Mm. And uh, yeah. Rhode Island too. Rhode Island, yeah, yeah. Delaware. Delaware. Like, fucking Rhode Island, though, man. Lightning <laughs> Bolt. Lightning Bolt. A lot of people don't realize come out of Rhode Island. Wow. You know, like, uh, Lightning no. Bolt? Oh, dude, listen to Lightning Bolt. I'll check Bolt. them out. One yeah. of the fucking craziest bands I've ever known. Two people. Uh, the bassist, he plays three bass strings, and then one string is a banjo string. Uh-huh. The drummer's the singer, but he wears, like, a mask that holds the microphone to his mouth, and he just, like, chaotic screaming throughout it. Oh, cool. They're fucking awesome. Yeah. But they, uh, uh, John Dwyer. Uh, oh, yeah. He found them in Rhode Island, uh, Lightning Bolt, and basically, like, because he was playing in a band called Pink and Brown at the time. Uh-huh. And... Uh, this was before OCs started and mm-hmm. so like he kind of found them and got them on the road and that's how I had first heard of them because I was a huge John Dwyer fan mm. um, you know Pink and Brown uh, uh, what are they called uh, Coach Whips I don't know I knew OCs because uh, they played god I can't think of so many prolific bands as OCs. So. Well, it's funny because the OCs were one of those bands where they just kept grinding and grinding and grinding until they became like one of the bigger uh, like non-mainstream bands right they're not a mainstream band but they're fucking huge yeah yeah and a big reason because of that was because of that prolific work ethic and the same could be said for going back to brian jonestown massacre yeah big reason why they're so relevant is because of how prolific and how much they've released right same Mm -hmm. thing could be said for ocs Mm -hmm. um dude like i mean i knew uh like i knew ocs when john dreyer was sleeping on my couch like (laughs) Because back in Chicago, they would, you know, tour, and we had, like, a music house. Yeah, yeah. And my roommate was, was like, a, a fanboy mm. of John. And so we went to go see OC's play. I want to say it was the Mutiny, which is, like, a hole-in-the-wall bar in Chicago. And uh, he had, like, five other people with him on tour at the time. And uh, Brad and me just stuck around, and he immediately went up to John's, like, offering a place to like basically begging him to sleep on our couch (laughs) uh, just so he could be close to him i think but yeah he ended up crashing on our couch but they ended up doing that a few more times as well cool um, coming through on tour Uh, he was always very nice but dude those guys are professionals man and they were really inspiring because i was a young kid at that time i was only 21 Mm -hmm. and man what they didn't stay up partying oh no no they went right to sleep Damn. and woke up at 6.30, folded sheets, put pillows together, <laughs> and fucking put the couches back together and left. Wow. Like, and that, to me, was really inspiring because it was like seeing this band who was known for chaos. Yeah. Who were basically led by this absolute madman. Yeah. In John, but then making sure they go to bed on time, get enough sleep to hit the road in the morning. And respect their hosts. And respect their hosts. Yeah. And, you know that you know that's why they are where they are yeah because they did it the the healthy way yeah they could have easily gone another direction easily yeah easily but that's the thing and this is where i relate with john specifically he's an extremely chaotic man 
but not off stage. <laughs> all He's my chill guy. all my chaos was in my real life, not on stage. Now all my chaos is on stage, <laughs> and I love that. Though, yeah, because it's like not what you know, not what you expect when you listen to my records. Yeah, is that it's going to be like loud, abrasive, and chaotic, but it is because that's what I was influenced by. Yeah, growing up as far as live music is like metal, hardcore, and stuff, punk, and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, it's just I play pretty music. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's the difference. Yeah, and you don't have to be a. Uh a live fast, die fast kind of. No, and I GGL don't have to fucking lifestyle. blow my vocal cords out. Yeah, like doing it all. <laughs> like I'm actually gonna have a, perhaps a chance of keeping this voice, <laughs> uh, depending on how many more fucking cigarettes I smoke. <laughs> it's harder to quit than anything else. Yeah. Uh, you got a show to get to, man. Oh fuck, man! We've been talking for a while. Yeah, a little bit. I don't want to hold you up. I know you got places to be. Oh. Man, we've been at this two hours. Wow. That was a good chat. Hell yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, so, so we'll wrap it. this up, man? Yeah, yeah. All right. Plug, plug what you want to plug. New uh, album out. Well, yeah, so uh, we had a new song come out a couple weeks ago called Driftwood Shoes. Uh, we have another one coming out in a few weeks uh, in August called Gotta Be A Way Out. And... July 21st, we'll be at Hotel Cafe here in L.A. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm catching that one for please sure. Do, yeah. Please do. I think it's going to be a good one. Uh, with Izzy Outer Space and the Noir Dollies. Mm-hmm. And then we're at Boomtown Brewery on July 29th for a festival, music mm-hmm. festival, um, with a bunch of other artists. Like um, uh, Actually, another band from San Diego called The Have Nots is playing that. I'm a big fan of them. Mm. Uh, and then after that, August 3rd, we're going to be in Oceanside at Poor House. And then August... Tw- yeah, a bunch more. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that's I'll, 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 I'll end it there. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, listen to our uh, listen to our full record. It's uh, called Idlewild. It was uh, released last year, and, you know, hopefully you'll come to a show. Hell yeah. Uh, when is this going to come out? Uh, this I could put... Uh, what day is it? I could put this out Monday. Oh well, cool. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, that works. All right. Well, if you before decide, all the dates you just listed for sure. <laughs> yeah, if you decide to come to one of those shows, come up and introduce yourself. We'd love to meet you. And, Do it, uh, people. Yeah. Anyway, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, bud.